Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. In the Michigan Territory, Stry winds up, throws a deep ball side. Line, cut, touchdown, Marvin Harrison Jr. 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important. So is your budget. Quarterback keeper rising with a seam. He's into the red zone. He's inside the 10. 365 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance. Protecting Texans since 1952. If you're delayed. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. Sixty-five Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. 39-yarder blocked. Picked up the Cowboys' Corey Black. Hit by the turf monster, but can't be stopped. Another special teams touchdown for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Well, good afternoon on this Thursday, 365 Sports, and also live on what is uh, an amazing app on Sikkim 365, the app that was launched a few weeks back after such a long delay to to make sure it could keep up with uh, the growth and explosion, the bandwidth of what we put out, not just with us, but everything we do on 365 Sports and also on the website. So Craig and uh, Paul here, Paul Catalina to my left, Craig Smoke. I'm David Smoke. And again, we'll take you up until 6 o'clock or somewhere around that time. Mountain West Commissioner Gloria Navarez will join us today at 4. She was supposed to get us last week and and then uh, got mixed up on the the time zones, which is fine. So we have her today. There's nothing going on with the Mountain West, is there, as far as uh, are they in the news? Sure they are. She'll join us today at 4 o'clock, we'll also have college analysts, both Taylor McCarg and Sam Kahn, joining us a little bit later on in today's show. So let's start with, in fact, Sam Kahn and Justin Williams 
in The Athletic today writing a full-fledged preview about the Big 12 and many things that they included. But this was predictions with a lot to get to. But they put the teams in the Big 12 into four tiers. Sam Conn and Justin Williams. Tier 1, Texas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma. Let's go through the tiers and then we'll discuss it backwards and forwards. And we've also all had our predictions about what might happen. Tier 2, Texas Tech, TCU, and Baylor. Tier 3, Oklahoma State, Kansas, and UCF. And in Tier 4, there are five schools, West Virginia, BYU, Iowa State, Cincinnati, and Houston. I don't know if anything's in order. I think it is top to bottom in each tier, and there you go. Yeah, I I get putting Oklahoma in Tier 1 because they have one of the better quarterbacks in the league coming back. Uh, I do think, though, they need to kind of to earn it back uh, a little bit and prove that they are still Oklahoma and that, you know, last year was was just kind of an outlier. But, yeah, I mean, Texas, and Kansas, Texas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, that's three of the best returning quarterbacks. I think the best returning quarterback, in my opinion, is, is Daniels at Kansas. But, um, you know, he he's there lurking around, and he's not the reason they're not in the top tier. It's because of the, the defense has to prove something there. So I agree with Tier 1. I think – I think you can have a little bit more transference between Tier 2 and Tier 3, though. I don't think there's as much space, but that's the conference, right? Like, putting this one into the con- in, into tiers, you know, there's not really, and I think this will probably be true at the end of the year, the amount of difference between 5 and 14 in this league would not be the difference between 5 and 14 in other similar-sized leagues. Yeah, I don't have too much of an issue there with uh, – we're going by tier, right? Uh, yeah. So, tier yeah. one, I don't have too much of an issue with that. I do kind of groan a little bit when I see Oklahoma just, you know, and Texas in there automatically. I mean, Texas I understand because I have said and I think, you know, agree with most people that they are the favorite uh, overall to win, and they should be the favorite overall to win this year. I think, you know, the word talent is, is like a bad word when you talk about Texas, but it's just true this year. I mean, it's true. It's, it's on paper. Uh, it's in the measurement. Uh, it's all over that roster. They have no excuses. I mean, absolutely none to not be the favorite in the Big 12 this year. So, um, you know, that's going to be, with this being the final run, a, a huge topic week to week, I'm sure, with not only everybody watching their own teams, but those who are wanting Texas to flame out or, you know, somebody not named Oklahoma or Texas to win the Big 12 in the long run. There's going to be a little bit more rooting against, I think, than we've seen in years past. But, you know, as far as the love they're getting, there's a lot of other years where you could roll your eyes and be, you know, perfectly in the right to do so. I don't think that's the case this year. Uh, so I'm totally fine with them being there. K-State, I get why. You know, I still feel like we sort of just go, yeah, D- Deuce Vaughn's gone, but they got uh, DJ Giddens and they got Trayshawn Ward, so no big deal. We just kind of go around it, you know, and I'm like, those guys are good, but Deuce Vaughn is pretty dead. Like, he's like special so you know they're still going to be able to run the football but are they going to be able to run it you know as dynamically and have the types of plays with regularity that they had with Deuce Vaughn I'm not so sure about that but they should still be very good on the ground I just think that we sort of just well they won't skip a beat it'll be fine and and I'm like well, yeah, I don't know I think who's this... going to be missed more at running back Bijan or Deuce Vaughn Bijan probably Deuce, yeah but uh, I think they'll be able to replace Deuce's numbers as far as yards and yeah. you know things like they'll be able to move the ball on the ground as steady like he was. What I don't think between Giddens and Ward will be the 
Oh crap! Like if you're like, right. oh, oh, here he goes. Yeah. Like you're not going to see that as much because that is, there's only a few guys that are like that. Um, you know, I, I do think that you know to answer your question, yeah, Bijan was just such a. I mean, he he is an absolute unicorn. It comes but, to running, but backs in now. the offense, Texas has so much more in that room to replace him with compared to what Kansas but, State. Uh, I, I don't do think, think so. I actually. think that he is Bijan is so unique though that he's kind of head and shoulders above maybe. Maybe a lot of the running backs who've been out in the last few years. I mean, he's he's kind of a once in an every few years type of player. Yeah, well, with Deuce, all I'm saying is that I think that there's going to be some of those special moments they had with him that are just automatically replaced by DJ Giddens and by Treshawn Ward. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, having said that, I still think they're deservedly in the top tier sure. and that of the returning teams that aren't moving after this year. Uh, they are the best-looking team on paper and the one that I would feel the most confident in. So totally fine with them being there in tier number one. As far as you, you know, the argument, like on stars, yeah, Texas outranks them, but I think Giddens and Ward have shown a bit more than at this point Brooks and Baxter and you know uh, some of the other uh, Texas running backs. Like They certainly got a lot of talent, but we might be splitting hairs really with, with that right now because, um, you know, they're both missing superstars uh, and but have a lot in of a, talent. In their that own are, unique way. Yeah. yeah, in their own in their own unique way. And then Oklahoma, you know, I think with, with Dylan Gabriel at quarterback, that's a, a big step forward for them. You know, if they were replacing a quarterback, I think there'd be far more grave concerns. But I do think a year under everybody's belt, um, kind of knowing the routine now at this point, I'm expecting them to be better than – than uh than last year by a long shot so i don't know about tier one i kind of teeter with them but i understand why you would have them in tier one i can at least see that so i'm okay with the tier one well we don't i i it's hard to argue but in the big 12 it's the it's not it's, it's easy to argue but it's hard because this conference has someone in that bottom of tier two or someone in tier three will make a run like they have in recent years dustin Arshambo, i hope i said that right dustin uh, as an Oklahoma State fan, I haven't picked Texas in years. I, I, I do think, though, uh, and believe this could be their best year in years. I do agree with 365 Sports. Somebody else said, I think may have been Paxton, uh, Kansas State does not have the five stars right now on their depth chart or even on their roster to replace Deuce, where Texas does have I, at least those type of I, players. I would caution Texas fans on throwing stars out based on what's happened to some of those stars in the last 15 years. And their I'm, running back stars seem to be a, have been pretty good. Yeah, though. but yeah. like if you're, you know, you can have all the five stars. You ask any Texas fan who suffered this time thinking that this is the year since 2009, uh, and they'll tell you, but we have five stars and four stars. Well, you know, those stars – you know, yeah. well, one of the other things is both teams have really, really good people coming back on the offensive line. Texas, well, of course, has built that offensive line over the last couple of years. Yeah, they have. Um, and, you know, K-State's got a big anchor coming back with uh, Cooper BB, And, uh, you know, they've got a lot return on that side of the ball. I mean, as far as the stars conversation goes, uh, Deuce Vaughn was a three star. Yep. So who gives a damn? I mean, you know, that's great that you got a bunch of fives, but he was a five by the end of his college career. So, you know, DJ Giddens or Treshawn Ward, or I don't know what those guys off the top of my head, probably four-star-ish type players. Well, Treshawn uh, Ward was a walk-on at FSU. Okay, so. well, no, he wasn't, but <laughs> I, I feel like they could be coached up and be just fine in that offense uh, without fives. So I, I see where you're coming from, though, on that. But, yeah, I mean, Texas has a lot of talent in the back. I, I don't worry about the backfields for either team. <laughs> you know, if we're going to have questions, I don't think it's in the backfield. I just don't know if they have that magic moment player 
um, that they had in Deuce Vaughn. That's all I was getting at. All right. Uh, again, and Deuce Vaughn, of course, uh, a phenomenal talent. He's already had kind of an, a really nice start in the preseason for the Dallas Cowboys. All right. So there is that. One of the things about Texas, a comment about from Sam and also Justin, if not now, when things are lining up with the horns bringing back yours, Worthy, Sanders, the entire starting offensive line, Ford at linebacker, who's the defensive preseason defensive player of the year, leads a defense that makes strides, plus the incoming players with uh, Don, uh, uh, with uh, Mitchell from Georgia, and also uh, Catalan is in, a, a defensive back as well. So they've got some people. K-State's got some people. They've got Will Howard, who to me, man, when he came in against TCU in that game up in Fort Worth and, and really gave – uh, the, the Frogs hell and, and was just really solid. I think he might be the best quarterback in the conference before it's said and done, although it does not have some of the same glitz and glamour around him, but I was impressed with him. And he can run. He's a better runner than sometimes you may think. All right, so there's that from uh, Sam Conn. He'll join us, Justin Williams, he'll join us at the 445 today. So that's tier one, two, three, and four. Oh, I thought you were going to add something to it. I thought you were going to go through the other tiers. Uh, I did. Oh, you want okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, okay. Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, Tier Two. Yeah, I, I'm, and I'm just so lost on how Baylor's going to be because I, I got to see it um, that I could easily push them into Tier Three right now. Not, not seeing anything. So if you swap take them, them out, out for with, with who? Oklahoma State, KU, UCF uh, for UCF. I get a sneaking suspicion, and it's just me. And Craig, you've been able to at least go to a, at least a couple of three or four practices. I I get a seek, sneaky su- suspicion the Baylor staff likes their team, and I know most coaches say that, but getting people off to the side, not right then and there in front of the microphone, I think they really like who they have. I'm still concerned about the back part of the defense. That's going to be interesting, and I think they have a very sneaky uh, confidence that. Their run game is going to be powerful, and they'll be just good enough again to be able to move the ball in the passing game uh, a little bit better than they have the last couple of years. I can understand not wanting to, uh, or agreeing with Baylor in Tier 2, but I think there is an argument for them in Tier 2 mm-hmm. because I do think they've gotten better everywhere. I think all across the board uh, they should be better uh, in some <coughs> way or another. And, yeah, there are questions like the secondary, for example, but could it be much worse than last year's? No. I mean, no, so. absolutely not. So, yeah, so it's like, okay, well, still better than last year. And, you know, that was a team that they only ended up winning six games. Very well could have won like nine. You know, should have won the TCU game, absolutely. The bowl game was a disaster that just was – they shouldn't even have played it, basically. Uh, so, you know, that's not a team that's very – like, they were never – you know, a team that looked like they were really good and stayed in a stride. But I think they're better than we give them credit for just because the end of the season, that second half, the blowout to K-State, you know, the TCU just abysmal heartbreaker, the stupid bowl game that everybody was miserable for and afterwards. Uh, you know, the ending was just so bad that it taints, like, the entire season itself. But there were some moments there where, you know, the BYU game was very close. They just didn't win the close games, and they had a couple of outliers like that Kansas State blowout that you're just like, what? And I don't expect that kind of thing from this team this year. I do think that they're much more in line. I think that behind the scenes things are a lot calmer and better and healthier. And I think the players themselves, like they had nobody at wide receiver last year, basically. I mean, that was seasoned or up or anything. And now they've got like a handful of guys that are all – 
should be better for that. Um, the tight end room should be strong, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I think there's definitely an argument to be made for them in Tier 2, although I do understand those that, that don't see it. Um, Tech and TCU, no questions there. I, I definitely think that those two are, are Tier 2-type teams. TCU, very curious on how much of a step back they may take because last year was just so special. But I do think they'll still be really dangerous no matter what. And Tech, obviously there's a lot of a lot of hype and substance, and they're not shying away from it. They feel like they've got a good football team, and a lot of other people seem to think that as well. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty solid tier two. Let me ask you guys this, and, and this is a question. There's a lot of great games in week two. And if Texas goes into Tuscaloosa and wins, we know how monstrous that will be. But Texas Tech and Oregon, Baylor and Utah, and there are others. I'm not overlooking the others. Which team would get the bigger boost if they win their game? If Tech. both of them do, that would be great. But if Tech and Oregon, Baylor and Utah. Tech will. Tech, because we know that Bo Nix will play in that game, at least yeah. right now. We don't know about Cam Rising. You beat Utah, but Cam Rising doesn't play. Is it the same as beating Utah with Cam Rising playing? On paper it is, but like to, to your eye, is it the same? No, it's not. So, uh, yeah, I think beating Bo Nix versus beating Utah's backup, which is what it appears to be right now, uh, would – and even if you had Rising play, I still think it's Tech because I think that's going to be more of a primetime game, right? Utah-Baylor's like an 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, so I think there will be more pageantry and buildup uh, and, you know, that kind of that atmosphere for that Tech-Oregon game and more eyes on that. So that's, yeah, I think it will be Texas Tech if they were to win that game. All right, Garrett, if you still have it, uh, you're really good about wanting to delete information because you were, once worked at the FBI. Uh-huh. Uh, tier 3, right, hang on. O- Oklahoma State, Kansas, and UCF. Oklahoma State, Kansas, and UCF. This is Tier 3. I... I think there's some tier two and three that could be a crossover. Kansas, of course, getting a lot of love with what they did, building on that Jalen Daniels. And then UCF appears to be among the incoming four most, at least prepared, ready, locked in for their first year in the Big 12. I I could be sold, again, on Oklahoma State and Baylor being kind of the same thing where we don't know what to expect of both of them because they both have a lot of questions and a lot of, you know, they're going to kind of fly under the radar for a little bit. But if – because I, I believe in the coaching staffs at both those places like I do, if both of them are way better than the rest of the country expect them to be, my shock level would be pretty small because I think the the distance between good and bad for these these programs is not very far. I mean, like it's good and, and disappointing. I, I don't think that the, like either would be genuinely bad where it's like, oh, dear, because of the, the way that they coach and the way that they recruit and the way that they develop talent. I just... There's a lot that you have to know. Like, is Blake Shapin really ready to be – like, he might be better than the, the, the guys in the green and gold on the other side of him, but is he better than the guys wearing the Utah uniforms and the Texas uniforms that he wasn't necessarily last year? So is he better? Like, those are the questions I need to answer. At Oklahoma State, like, can Alan Bowman not get tackled a couple times and then not – play for the rest of the season that's the question i have there how have they replaced all the the mass exodus of transfers how have they done that but if the answers to those questions are all yes and good and positive it's not going to be that surprising to me it's just i feel like we know less about baylor and oklahoma state than because we have less proof in the pudding based on their roster than maybe most of the teams in the league well and plus you're just trusting the coaches yeah. yeah you're trusting yeah. the coaches you're trusting yeah. that dave aranda even if he doesn't have better talents going to be a better coach than the guy across from him you're trusting that because gundy's done it so long 
yeah, you, lots of questions, but he'll get it together. And you know what? It's kind of shaped up for him to do that. It's been a quiet offseason, really, for the, I mean, nationally at least. They've kind of been able to go about their business and retool. No more drama. Uh, you know, no Spencer Sanders. So they've kind of just been able to start over. Um, but I'm, I'm with you, like, you know, them, Baylor, uh, not really knowing exactly what to expect. And if you're to say, hey, they won nine games, okay. Hey, they won six games, okay. Like, mm-hmm. either one you could totally see. So I think Oklahoma State might be, like, my biggest mystery team in this entire thing, uh, along with, yeah, obviously Baylor. Um, but Tier 3, I think that's fair because there is a bit of mystery there. Uh, Kansas, I can understand if you want to put them in Tier 2 because you think that with Jalen Daniels, they're going to be special. And certainly before he got hurt last year, uh, they were, you know, just rolling on along. And you think that he's going to be back and just kind of, you know, pick the ball up. And I know he, he came back near the end, but this this the – the magical streak had been broken at that point, you know? So I think, um, you know, having him back after a full healthy offseason uh, will be, you know, obviously a, a huge deal for the Jayhawks. And then UCF's getting a lot of love. I mean, they're far and away the the new school that's getting the most, um, I guess, representation as far as who could, you know, rattle the Big 12 cage a little bit and potentially kick in the door of, you know, that upper tier. Um and I think that's all revolving around Gus Malzahn and, and to a lesser extent, to uh, their quarterback. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any great argument for or against. I think it all makes sense that, that those teams are in that tier and you could see them moving up a notch, all three of them. Um, but there's just a few too many questions that I have to feel confident in doing that. But, you know, <clears throat> enough answer to not drop them into the bottom pod there. Before we get to the bottom pod, before we do, uh, from Northeast Ohio, Boise State fan. That's got a lot of different, like, directional things in there. Uh, Texas got screwed at their home stadium against Bama. Do you really think they have a chance against Bama in Tuscaloosa? Come on, man. Uh, you, my rule, and again, I know a lot of you are joining this. Yeah, there's some calls that can go against you, but make a play. Don't let Bryce Young get loose. Make a damn play. Finish off a play. And they didn't. And I, I think that this game is going to be uh, one that, that Texas, based on who they have back, based on the fact Alabama doesn't really know the quarterback. He's not seasoned, even if it's the Notre Dame uh, transfer. Uh, not quite what they've had at quarterback in recent years, and so everybody else around them. I remember that game, Alabama-Texas. One, it was a hell of a game. I remember that uh, Anderson, Will Anderson, he lined up offside like three or four times early in the game. He just never really made one play, and then he did on Ewers and knocked him out of the game. But I, I, I think it's going to be one hell of a game in Tuscaloosa, and I don't, I don't get into that. They got screwed or not? I it just I think over time it all evens out. Yeah, I mean I I don't recall really any calls from last year. I mean I, you know the results are the results and they are what they are and I don't dwell too much on you know whatever flag you know altered whatever game and um, sure there were some things that went their way I guess uh, in that game but uh, they fought tooth and nail with Alabama. I don't see any reason why they're not going to do so again whether it's in Tuscaloosa or on planet Mars. So yeah absolutely I think they have a chance to go into Tuscaloosa and win that game. Um, Alabama's damn good they're not unbeatable and uh, if you're going to get them seems like a good time to get them. Uh, would you rather play him with this quarterback group or with Bryce Young last year? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they absolutely have a chance. Would I bet Texas? I don't know. Let's get closer and see how everybody looks after week one. But give them a chance? Absolutely, without question, um, I would. So, um, yeah, the uh, bottom tier now or uh, right. the last the, pod the, here. The, the fourth tier, and then we will get the Lewis Doe, I think is how you say your last name, West Virginia, Brigham Young, Iowa State, Cincinnati, Houston, of course, when we were at Big 12 Media Days, Neil Brown joined us, and he was pissed 
about a couple of different things. Uh, color in the background uh, at where they had their players' uh, breakout session was wrong. Uh, and he reminded us and I think everybody else who talked to him about how they had a bunch of experience and a lot of players coming back on the offensive line where a lot of time that happens. Baylor did too last year, and it didn't help him much of anything. But there's West Virginia, BYU, Iowa State, Cincinnati, Houston, Paul and Craig before you start from Lewis Doe. D-E-A-U-X, looks like that's Cajun, um, Provo Cougar fan. I'm not mad, but Brigham Young has 10-win talent, coaching, 42-year member, Football Writers Association telling you this. You are grossly underestimating them this year. Lewis, we haven't talked about them yet, but appreciate the chat. This is from the Athletic.com article that we're discussing and we'll digest and chew on right now, Tier 4. I, I think you have to see uh, if Keaton Slovis at BYU, you know, if this is the stop that's the, the best one for him. We had a great conversation with him at Big 12 Media Days where he kind of took us inside, you know, that that two-time transfer, you know, where you've got him at three different schools and, and everything that happened. So you kind of understand why he's on his journey, but that, that still means that he needs to – to perform here because it's his last stop. So that's the question for West Virginia. I think the biggest thing is can Neil Brown carry that chip on his shoulder to a pretty good record through their first four or five games, which is outside of Duquesne an absolute gauntlet. If they can make it through three and two in the first five weeks, then I think that, you know, we may have underestimated West Virginia, but I don't know many teams that would make it through three and two in the first five weeks uh, on the schedule that they have. It's it's going to be really, really tough for them. Uh, and I see more of a, a two and three, one and four possibility there. And he's already under fire and he has a new athletic director and all those things that are never look good for a, an incumbent coach. But we'll see on West Virginia. Iowa State's lost their quarterback. They've lost their running back. They've got all kind of things going on there. Uh, this this is going to be, if Matt Campbell gets this team to bowl eligibility, it's going to be the ultimate man. He he got together and, and drew down some grit and, and and brought his team together like like never before. And I think Cincinnati and Houston have, have quarterback and depth issues. Well, they got work to do. And, and again, who can sneak out? Brigham Young, I, I do agree, Lewis. They have a lot of talent. They have Slovis if he can play well. And I like Kalani Sataki, but... Uh, they were also a team last year that kind of just did not quite meet the early success they had, like at Oklahoma State or even like a Baylor. And so they're kind of like, okay, who are they, even though they ended up finishing the season a lot better? Yeah, I mean, they won eight games, and I think there's a lot of teams that would trade for that, right? But when you walked in with the expectations that they had, I think they were expecting to win more than eight games. And so, yeah, it was a slight disappointment, uh, I think, for them, but uh, certainly not an abysmal season by any means and a lot to build off of and you know some questions like anybody else but I do see why there's a lot of optimism there and um, you know at the same time I understand why you've got them in tier four because they are a bit of a, a question mark in comparison to some of the others that you know a bit better or feel more confident about if you want to make the argument they should be in tier three that's totally cool I could see that I don't know how you can make an argument they should be much higher than that though I don't know how you put them in tier two uh, certainly not in tier one um, so, I mean, this is this is about right. Like I said, you could bump them up one grouping, um, but I get where Sam and Justin are coming from here. Uh, obviously, outside of UCF, they think it's going to be a bit of a transition for the uh, the new four schools, uh, but BYU certainly uh, is equipped uh, to handle that pretty well uh, if the things fall right. So I get feeling like they could be better. West Virginia, I do think, is better than people give credit for right now because they've simply been talked so poorly about all offseason that it's like, how could they not be better? better than the way they've been talked about all offseason so I do also get uh, you know some of those vibes from Neil Brown at media day where 
you, he, he does expect him to be a bit better than, than probably people are giving him a lot of credit for. Uh, but would he put him, you know, tier three or tier two? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't. So I, I get why they're where they are, but I don't think that they're going to be the bottom of the barrel. You know, and even if they are better, as Paul mentioned, that schedule at the gates is pretty tough. So you could be better and still have a pretty poor record those first five weeks just based on who you play. So that's going to be fascinating to see how they maneuver through that, that first month of the year. Um, and then, you know, all the rest we can go down. I know Houston's puzzling to everybody. I mean, I think most people don't expect them to be very good uh, this year, but Dana knows the landscape pretty well. I just don't know if the talent's there uh, right now. Uh, and then you had um, – who else was in there? Uh, Cincinnati, I think they're a total mystery with a new coach. Uh, even though you know he's got some skins on the wall, uh, there's just a lot of question marks. And I don't think really, I think in some of these cases when when there's votes where people have been covering the Big Twelve a long time, you just don't know about Cincinnati well enough just yet to just assume kind of their ins and outs. You know what I mean? Uh, whereas we we kind of know Gundy and Oklahoma State. We're like, oh well, he'll get that, he'll get this, he'll do this. Whereas we're still kind of feeling out the rest of them. So um, I can see why. You've got them in that bottom tier as well. And, um, and yeah, I think that, that covered them all. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's about how I would have it if I were to sit by myself and put them into four tiers. That would be similar. And, obviously, some of this will not be correct, either up or down. Um, but that's part of the fun of just, you know, going off of what we do know now and, and trying to predict what we're going to see here pretty soon. All right, so here's one thing to think about. Brigham Young, going back to them for a second, five losses last year. And they lost four in a row at one point. They were under five hundred. They lost to 10 and 3 Oregon, 9 and 4 Notre Dame, 8 and 5 Liberty and East Carolina, and 7 and 6 Arkansas from the SEC. So their losses, that doesn't mean like quality losses, but uh, that, that is the case maybe if you get to the end of the year and you have one or two and you're talking about getting to the playoff. But, you know, Liberty is a, a very sneaky good team and they've got some, they got some talent, but that was not a good win, or not, not a good loss. Uh, but those are the five. Everybody they lost to had a bowl game last year at Oregon with the best of those records at 10-3. and three. Well, you know, with them, too, uh, when they went on that slide, their defense was very poor and led to a change in the offseason shortly after the regular season. Or, no, it was actually midseason, I think. Or yeah, they the lost season, four in a row, yeah. Into the season. Uh, it got so bad that Sataki took back over. Um, so there was that change, and, you know, I totally understand, like, hey, those close games and all that, but also doing that exercise, it doesn't always translate that way. Like, oh, well, they they had a bunch of close games. They'll automatically be able to, you know, but they don't have Jaron Hall. They don't have Puka Nakua. Like, they don't have every single guy back from last year. They will be one of the most more seasoned teams. They'll be one of the older teams because that's how it is with, you know, their setup. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to make a case that they'll be better, I totally see that. But I think everybody's just kind of waiting to, to get a little evidence first. When you talk about winning or losing close games, and Baylor had a ton of them in 21. They didn't last year, and TCU did last year. Brigham Young beat Baylor in double overtime. We, we think about the games they lost that were close. Yeah. Beat Baylor in double overtime. Beat Boise State 31-28 and beat SMU 24-23. So there's three wins that they had, and that's great. You're not taking them away, but you also have to look at those that you converted, and that kind of does cancel out a couple of them maybe that got away from you. Well, there's there's a lot of different ways to look at close wins. Like, oh, I'm right here knocking on the door. If I just get more experience, or you were at the peak of where you were and you had the experience that you had, and now it's gone, so those close wins go with it. 
Or close losses go with it, too. So, yeah, it, the door swings every way you want it to swing. It just depends on how it all works out in the end. Okay. And the good news is, is with all these preseason lists, we'll see soon. Mm, yeah. So, no. you know, you want to, yeah. hey, this list sucks or whatever, then, hey, we'll find out. Uh, BYU will be suiting it up in, in uh, Cincinnati and UCF and Texas Tech and all the rest. So, you know, that's the good news is here in a couple of weeks, we'll see uh, what's what and, and who deserved to be ranked higher or lower. We'll take a break here. There's still, still some things to get to when it comes to college football. Bob Thompson with a pretty interesting note about the story that a professor in the Pac-12 is the one that came up with what they thought the value was for the Pac-12 teams. Uh, his response to that, uh, Condoleezza Rice and President Bush involved in campaigning for Cal and also for SMU. A couple of those stories to get to. Um, and then Gloria Navarez of the Mountain West Conference will join us today at 4 o'clock. And this is 365 Sports. Stonewood Dental, Robinson, Texas. Dr. Steve Childress is my... What is that noise? Garrett, your microphone is on. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's not? Uh, is uh, my dentist. He's unbelievable. He has helped me really play catch-up. Like a, a couple of Hail Marys when it comes to making up for my dental work, not being very good because I let it go too long. When I felt maybe a twinge or maybe there was something I may, I, I just did not want to go to the dentist. I did not want to get a shot in my jaw. I was nervous about that. And I have been for years. And then I met him and he's like basically said, listen, if you don't start doing this now, there's going to be a lot more things in your mouth and it won't be just needles. So I've gotten a lot of work done. Teeth pulled, uh, uh, impl- implants. I've had a couple of crowns put in, had a cavity filled the other day. I feel really good about it. And I don't have to worry about any of those, uh-oh, and then, man, do I need to go to the dentist? I don't really want to know the answer. If, in fact, something happens, call him. Call his office. They're incredible. The staff is fantastic. Stonewood Dental, my dentist, Dr. Steve Childress in Robinson, Texas. During the Make This the Summer event, say big on a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Limited with $3,500 plus 2.9% for 72 months. Or a 2023 Jeep Gladiator Sport with employee pricing for all plus 1.9% for 72 months. And an extra $1,000 rebate. Or if that's not enough, get a 2023 Jeep Compass 10% off MSRP. That's right, and no payments for 90 days on all offers. Find the Jeep that fits you at Allen Samuels in Waco. The future's bright, the time is now. College is what you make it. It's a late night pizza run and all-nighters coding a new project. It's having big dreams and making them a reality. It's a professor who knows your name and your story. It's preparation for your future, your calling, your life. And at Baylor, it's even more. Baylor, where lights shine bright. One size fits all. That may be all right for an adjustable belt or cheap sunglasses, but when it comes to your financial needs, no one wants a one-size-fits-all strategy. Ben Erlinson, your Edward Jones financial advisor, knows that his most important goals are yours. That's why he takes the time to understand your needs, knowing you. That's how Edward Jones makes sense of investing. Ben Erlinson, 100 North 6th Street in Waco, 254-759-8533. Edward Jones, member SI. 
Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge Checking and Savings accounts to earn interest or cash back with five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app. Banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Pioneer Steel and Pipe opened their doors in 1943 and they have never wavered with their focus on great product and customer service, relationships with a handshake, making sure you, the customer, is satisfied. Their new facility is now twice the size, allowing new inventory, higher quantities, and in a much more organized fashion. In addition to the long lengths in tubing, angles, channels, rods, and flat, Pioneer Steel and Pipe now offers several shorter, more convenient lengths of material already cut. Their 2,500 square foot showroom has over a thousand new products in stock, new welding supplies, hardware, quick creep, and do-it-yourself components for any project, whether you are a professional contractor or weekend warrior. The new facility is designed to make your loading experience faster and more efficient with easy drive lanes around the building and much more room to get your trailer loaded. Our location may have changed, but our values haven't, and our relationship with customers goes much farther than just business. Pioneer Steel and Pipe on Loop 340 and Highway 6 and just east of I-35 in Waco. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Five Sports. The three o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. Four twenty-five Lake Air Drive, Waco. Pluto twenty-three sixty-three. In re- reference to Mister Guy making a comment about was Cincinnati's success about Luke Fickle, and his comment was good. They were good before Fickle. They were good with D'Antonio. They were great with Brian Kelly. Good with Butch Jones. Not playoff good, but it's not like the program was garbage before Fickle. Yeah, when I was doing a preview for all of the teams, which, man, it's going to get messy next year. There's going to be so many new teams to try and figure out. But, yeah, one of the things that jumps out to you automatically about Cincinnati is like, no, it's not a it's no one-trick pony, man. Like, it's not even a two or three. It's, they've done it multiple times with multiple head coaches in the last 20, 30 years of, you know, doing it as in have had really – nice uh, to highly successful seasons. And Fickle took them the farthest, obviously, to a college football playoff, but the others also didn't have the college football playoff to play for. But he, you know, yeah, he took them nationally, uh, I think, to a, another kind of uh, level and, and definitely helped fuel, you know, the the confidence in a Big 12 move and why they deserved it and, and how they had deserved it. And so, yeah, they're they're not a one-trick pony by any means and wouldn't surprise me at all that they have some more success uh, under Satterfield and just keep the keep it moving. But, yeah, they're going to 
I think everybody, it's fair to say that you're going to expect a step back and a, and a wait-and-see approach because Fickle had them humming, man. I mean, he really did. NFL draft, wins on the field, recruiting. I mean, a lot of things were going well for them. Yeah, I, I do think with Cincinnati, it just – and every coach that had success there had a little bit of a bubble to build it, right? Don't we owe Scott Satterfield that same thing without sure. without saying, well, everybody else was good. Brian Kelly was good here. You know, uh, everybody but Tommy Tuberville did a really good job here. You know, it's been a springboard for a lot of jobs. Luke Fickle got, got him in the college football playoff. All right, Coach Sat. Yep. Here – Ten and two, or you're, or we hate you. Year one, no, that's not fair, and it's not reasonable, and it's going to make you enjoy football a little bit less uh, if you set the expectations. Just knowing that college football has turnover now, like it never has before, not only in coaches but in players, and it takes some time to build the chemistry between the two. Brian Kelly was ten and three, eleven and three, and twelve and zero at Cincinnati. So he got he was yeah. interim for one game in two thousand six. So Brett McMurphy had put out something about. Uh, involving the story, this came actually from Brady McCullough, that George Klyovkov tried blocking UCLA's move to the Big Ten. We know that with the Cal Regents. And then in October of 2022, ESPN offered the Pac-12 $30 million a school. We know that. But a Pac-12 president worked with a professor on his campus who estimated the school's market value at $50 million per school. That has been documented, too. And then it kind of came out with the last couple of two or three days that some of the backstories to what happened and how everything fell apart. Bob Thompson, who's been on with us many times, three nuggets. Based on my observations over the years, many university presidents don't understand business. Many presidents understand very little about sports. Even fewer presidents understand sports business. Oh, uh that should be evidence. Like if you just if he needed to prove it in like a lab, all he'd have to do is just pull the Pac-12 presidents. Or uh, I give you some not, of them. Yeah, yeah. Not, but uh, not even the presidents. But even you go like the tier below and go to the board that University of California board when they were talking about UCLA, you had people going. So what is? Tier one rights now? Well, you've got these people making this decision and you have to tell them what it is because they're not in that world. It would just like be putting out like it's like putting us in a, in the academia world and going, okay, well, we need to get a grant, um, you know, for cancer research. And it'd be like, all right, well, who, I would know, be like, who's rich and doesn't like cancer? Like, that's the only thing I would, I would be able to say because I don't know how to do that. But when it comes to sports business, you know, people in our walk of life probably know that a little bit better but yeah you just because you're a university president and you're a really intelligent person doesn't mean you know everything or have a grasp on it uh, one of the things baylor has an advantage with their president right now is that she knows sports really well uh, but not everybody knows that look our bowen lofton at a&m a really smart guy who kind of got sports more than most but if you read interviews of his in you know, kind of his postmortem of having that job, he didn't even account for the uh, how much of sports would take up his life as the university president at Texas A&M when he was there. I think one of the the most, uh, I guess, uh, learned lessons throughout this whole process was when it comes to athletics, academics don't mean uh, a whole heck of a lot in in terms of realignment, in terms of you know various uh, you know things to do with the conversation of, of athletics and, and academics. Like, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but 
I do feel like there's a lot of snooty-ass people that wanted to wave the academics flag over the Big 12 as, as this great weapon that meant that they would, you know, scythe down uh, any threat from these stupid, uneducated Big 12 schools because that's how it came across, whether that was the intent or not. And I know for some it was, but that's how it came across. And the whole time people were trying to – but that's we're talking football, man. We're not talking grants, and you act like there's endowments, not. Yeah, there's, you're talking endowments and grants and all stuff. Like these other schools don't have that, also. But that yours is just so far superior, and we just don't get it. It's like we're talking football, dude. Yeah. We're talking ratings. We're talking winning. And I get that if you want to talk about something else, that's fine. But that's a separate conversation. Don't bring your conversation into the football conversation. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that uh, there were some uh, people involved who are not well-connected or or very knowledgeable in uh, athletics and specifically college athletics that whiffed on this. I I don't think that's a surprise. I think based on some of the fan interactions – if, if there were certain people acting that way, then you can only imagine yes. how the Cal president was Where probably acting. That? Right, yeah. exactly. That, yep. you know, so I, I'm not surprised by that, and I think he's dead on, and I think that's, that's evidenced by everything that's unfolded the last few months. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, and uh, they didn't lose four schools because the Big 12 was academically superior. They lost four schools because those schools wanted to go – you know, and play meaningful football and, and do things a little bit differently than the way that I guess others felt that it was supposed to be done. And and clearly, um, you know, one, uh, I guess, idea of the, the way things are today uh, was more appealing, and that was the Big 12's way of doing things. So, so much for all that other talk. Not that that's not worthwhile and, you know, uh, and all that in its own way, but we're talking college football, college athletics. So, Guess what? Those matter. Yeah, how much did that matter when all hell broke loose? And, and yeah, it's great to have a huge endowment. It's great to have an incredibly highly rated uh, institution, uh, the R12 or AAU, all of that above. But this week came down to tradition, athletics. In some cases, I would say history, Money. but not a lot. But it was all the might, almighty dollar. Now, Oregon State AD Scott Barnes, I don't know much about him. I just know that I feel for Oregon State, Washington State, especially because they seem to be kind of like looking around the room, where's the furniture? Here's a quote from him, John Canzano. We've had him a couple of different uh, quotes from him the last week in his article. This is when he was discussing how they're looking around and hoping things work out. And then the Colorado story came up. Oh, by the way, we got better, not worse when Colorado left. We had a chance to add a member that would have made us better. Who was that? Yeah, what is that in reference to? San Diego to? State? Yeah, but you do know that San Diego State <laughs> I mean, or SMU he, were going to stay. Like, no. I mean, that, well, that's... Well, but but, but yeah. what good did that do when you had... It did, did not help them. No. It did not help them. And that was the narrative. Well, no one wants to leave. And then, well, we're okay. We're not as... That, and that was the narrative. And it was just, again, the arrogance of there was always... Well, but... Uh, and then it was like, well, Arizona leave is not a big... And it just was constant... And, and here's what did it do for Oregon State, even though Scott Barnes has a really good football program and a coach, what did that do for you that Colorado would have been, uh, the conference would have been better? Nothing. I don't. I'm kind of confused. Is that like talking about what's all ha- like he said that after all the stuff that's happened, or is that this, from- this an article came out today? Okay, so yeah, I don't get the point in this making is, that shot. Talking about, yeah. No, I, that's what I'm saying. It's like it, this is and like Michael Crow, the Arizona State president, came out with more stuff about. Uh, the Apple deal and how it's like you never realize that streaming has been out there for quite some time, not years and years and years, but it's not like it's brand new. Well, 
The other thing is keeping following the narrative that, like, Colorado, you get better. Yes, Colorado's not been good in your league. But that's no guarantee that SMU or San Diego State or anybody else would come in and not and, and not be able to beat Oregon, right? And not be able to beat anybody else in there. So, yeah, I think that's kind of – that's a bit of a stretch. And you can convince yourself of that. Yeah, Colorado's been bad. But you're also kind of discounting the fact that Colorado is now – you know, all of a sudden standing on the accelerator a little bit more than they had been the previous decade when they were in the Pac-12. So did you get better, like, maybe on paper over the long term? But sports are cyclical, man. I mean, it, like, you know, if if you had kept it together and Colorado turns into a, a program that for a decade has pretty regular success, would you have gotten better? If, if Colorado comes and wins the Big 12 within within a decade, would you have gotten better? I mean, that's, that's that's really hard to even say. It's incredible coming from the conference whose commissioner was touting that the head coach hire for Colorado was going to boost ratings and their TV deal in yep. the last year. They forgot about that. Wow, yeah. Uh, I think it came from the same places too. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's just a we- weird and kind of silly thing to say after all this has occurred. It's like we got better after Colorado left and we had an opportunity. Well, why didn't you then? Where Where is that team then? Now – you are one of four sitting there looking around the room, a very empty room compared to what – and, like, I don't want to just dunk on pack folks, uh, you know, all day. We're, n- we're not, like, anti-Scott Barnes by any means. Definitely not anti-Oregon State, but that's a stupid comment. That That is, and that sounds like sour grapes, uh, especially when, you know, it would be better served if you were at, like, 12 teams again and you could say, well, hey, we went and did this. And we, but, dude, you're sitting there right now and – you might be in the American next year for all we know. So I don't know you're really speaking from a position of power, but, you know, nothing against him. It's just that's kind of a weird comment to make. And, you know, if I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get to taking the shot at Colorado there. Yeah, you take shot at somebody sometimes when you're mad at them and or you're maybe jealous of them. And maybe both in that case, even though Oregon State's football team is really salty and, and good luck to them. From Eric Cuellar, I like what he said here. And this is – something we've discussed about Baylor. And very few schools probably have it down the spine of what you need when it comes to administration. Talking about presidents making bad decisions, isn't that what the AD is for? You have to have the board, the regents, trustees, whatever you call them, president, and then AD. And not many schools have that. And then you can even go right down the the spine when it comes to your coaching staff. A lot of times the presidents and ADs are not on the same page. No, look, they this is it's a more rare thing than people realize and you can be mad at your coach all you want and sometimes the coach isn't the one to work out, but you do have to look at, you know, you ask the the coach to come in and grow a crop. Well, what was the soil like? When he got there, what did you give him to fix it? Did you give him, you know, make sure he had everything he needed? Did you get in his way? Did you micromanage all these different things? And then on down the line, does everybody have the same operational goals? And if you have president, AD, and coach down the line and whatever, you're going to be more successful than the schools that don't. And that's why you see when new ADs come in, they bring in a new coach more often than not, unless they just walked into a situation where you know, Nick Saban could be there, then you don't really mess with that. But yeah, most of the time you're going to have that. If you don't, you're just going to ask for problems all the way down the line. All right. So there's that. Michael Crow, uh, Arizona State president in an interview with Arizona Sports. Here's a couple of quotes. I'll read them out. They're too long to put them up. I'm just going to go paraphrase them Uh, we had what I thought was a great offer from Apple this is a recent interview 
Uh, he said, most of the fan base didn't think it was a great deal, but I don't think they knew much about it. Basically, what Apple deal was is Apple would spend $500 million in the first year to take all of the football games, men's and women's basketball games, digitally capture them, make them available to everyone. You could play the games whenever you wanted to play them. That was huge, huge, a huge thing. All the data from the games would be available. You could zoom, zoom in on a player. You could zoom in on great plays. You could be watching all the games at the same time. If you wanted, there was going to be this fee for that subscription, and that was a big uncertainty. So everything you're saying, okay, and that was an uncertainty, and that's really what blew that deal up with Apple. And then guarantee of a certain income to the schools, a joint partnership going forward of anything above the guarantee would have been a 50-50 split. Well, that's great, um, but a lot of would uh would have been great, would have been cutting edge, would have been you know very technologically uh, advanced compared to maybe the way some other broadcasts are. So that would have been cool. Um, and now, though, it's a matter of you know, does Apple still win college football, and what does that look like? You know, part of me has been sitting here going, well, shoot, go grab a couple more teams, and then go jump on that Apple deal if you're Brett Yormark, right? I mean, yeah. is that is that possible? Like, go grab a couple more and have your your Friday night or Saturday night contest or whatever Apple game of the week. I mean, I do think there is something to that outlet, and I think that there will be in the future as well. It's just that the timing didn't line up, uh, nor did the environment uh, lineup uh you know the whole thing really the environment the timing uh the the people in place it uh, was just you know wrong time uh wrong folks in charge and wrong atmosphere for the pack to be able to fully capitalize on that but i do i mean to his point i guess i do think that they were on to something i do think it's something we'll probably see a, a lot more of uh from apple or someone else in the future but I just think we're they were a little bit too early on that. And and I do wonder if others go and try to now capitalize on maybe some of the framework that was done there. I think they'd probably be smart to. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that all sounds good. But, you know, it's going to be part of the book of, you know, what didn't happen in the long run. So I, I get, you know, needing to talk through this. But hopefully, um, you know, those schools who will be joining the Big 12, they got a whole year, uh, you know, a whole new calendar year in the Pac-12. So I get they're probably going to revisit this a bunch. But I hope – we don't drag this like, well, what could have happened and, you know, and just dwell on what didn't happen as opposed to what is happening right now. Because I think at some point the focus does need to shift to, to what's in front because not doing that, it already kind of cost you a little bit as evidenced by where we are. I, yeah, fact, I would be curious to know his, his feelings on what would have happened if you didn't hit those benchmarks, though. Like True. how if were you comfortable with the fact that you could have gone into the year knowing that, OK, we're going to budget. 20 million and we think we're going to have 35 for next year because we think this is going to go gangbusters and then you get 20 million and then that 15 million dollars you're hoping for doesn't happen and which then you're is to 22 million everybody else in a power five autonomy conference it goes up as the years go on with your media deal they did not have any guarantees that was going to be the case yep. by the way uh some of you asking you get sounds like he's still bitter uh he's still kind of holding on and you know again i appreciated his loyalty to a conference that he obviously loved. That's fine. Here is a, a note from a, a super chat from Group Poop. How many schools? 
I, I can't believe I read that. You really, like, I, I've actually thought, I thought about this the other out. night. Like, that, I'm glad that's all that says because you really need to check I, I names before I you it. just start reading off it, because I, I fear that there's going to be a day where there's something worse <laughs> than that. And you're just like, hey, so-and-so said this. And as far as, like, him and, well, and you know, sounds bitter and all that, like, I, I get it, though. I mean, imagine what they've gone through. Oh, like, yeah. They talked big S for like an entire year, you know, and just dunked on people who who questioned, you know, their future and this TV deal they kept barking about and all this stuff. And then in the end, like you were the the laughing stock. I mean, and not and maybe not that extreme of laughing stock, but in some cases you were. Like in some cases, Robbins was. In some cases, some reporters were. In some cases, you know, Ray Anderson was. So there was some of that. But yeah, I think it's embarrassing, and I think it's going to take uh, those involved, especially those in power, a little while to kind of get over that. Well, you said S, and so Group S is his name now uh, on Twitter. <laughs> right. How many schools would have to leave at once? From the ACC to dissolve the conference and void the grant of rights. I believe it's eight. Yeah, I think eight. That's a large number. Yeah. yeah. And, that, like, that's the it, – it's a 14-team, 15 – whatever it is. I don't know. I get confused with Notre Dame. But it's 14-team league, right? So you got to get more than half to do it, and you got to get eight of them out there. Two of them would probably feel pretty comfortable knowing they would land somewhere – Maybe four, but the four after that would, would be in limbo. And then as you go down the, the line. All right. She is the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference, Gloria Navarez. She will join us next on 365 Sports. The city of Woodway. Uh, they always have some special event coming up, and they do again coming up, in fact, in the next couple of weeks in early September, which is hard for me to imagine is actually right around the corner. Uh, they have, in fact, coming up this weekend, there's the Woodway Farmer's Market, which is great because you can get a lot of great produce. Even the logo has a bunch of carrot stocks, which I think is cool. Uh, join the city of Woodway for the monthly Farmer's Market, Sunday, August 20th. That's this Sunday from uh, 10 a.m. until 1 p.m. at the Carling Bright Arboretum on the grounds right there. Other special events, the, the Wine and Food Fest on September 9th. It's called the Wine and Food Fest, a night in Italy, but it's in Woodway. Woodway Farmer's Market then comes back September 19th. The Father-Son Cookout, late October the 21st from 11 to 1. That's the first annual event there. It is always something. They have something going on. They have hotels if you visit town and you can't find one in the, I guess, Waco proper. You can find hotels, seven of them, I believe, in the city of Woodway. For more information on the special events and what they have, and they have some great events and fantastic facilities at discoverwoodway.com. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears! 
Riverbend Liquor and Wine now has two locations to serve you. The original on Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street and the brand new spot in downtown Waco at 600 Franklin Avenue. If you're looking for the best in craft beers or local Texas bourbons, then the original is the place to be. And for the latest trends and online phenomenons, head downtown to the Franklin location. Either way, you're going to get the same great variety, customer service, and speedy experience. Check out both locations on their Facebook and Instagram pages. And if you can't make it to Riverbend, DoorDash is available to bring it to you. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive at North 19th Street, and now downtown on Franklin Avenue. There is so much going on in college football, the, the, the transfer portal, NIL, the realignment story that never ends. And in fact, a lot of our growth has come, a lot of it since Texas OU, SEC, USC, UCLA in the Big Ten. And of course, these past couple of weeks, the last 13 months was the Pac-12. But Mountain West, the American Conference and others are trying to figure out also what's next for them. And I have great respect. Gloria Navarez joins us, the Mountain West Conference Commissioner with Paul and David here on 365 Sports. So when I was talking to Cam, who set up the time and the day for us, and thank you so much, Commissioner, for being a part of the show. Do you refer to a realignment as the 800-pound gorilla? <laughs> or something. It is the thing that has taken up all of our time. And want to thank you for having me today, and apologies for the schedule last time. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That is fine. So I, I have a question. With what's going on with the Pac-12, and, and then you guys, uh, everything's fine right now, although there's always the what else is happening. Are you in a better position right now than even the Pac-12 that was trying to steal a couple of teams from you? You know, I don't know what better position means anymore, but I certainly feel really good about the Mountain West. We had a board meeting on Monday and our, went through kind of everything we know about the landscape, tried to sort facts from fiction, and felt really good about the fact that we have a lot of similar mission schools. Um, we have a really good media contract that we're going to market here with in two years. And, you know, we have a real good opportunity to earn a berth in the expanded CFP playoffs. So um, it's a pretty good thing right now. So how do you approach the remaining Pac-4 schools and what their interest might be in navigating all that um, as it goes forward and trying to sell yourself to them, uh, if, if that's an option? Well, first, let me say, I you know have a lot of ties to the Pac-12. I went to law school at UC Berkeley. I worked at Cal Athletics Department. I've worked in the Pac-12 conference office. A lot of friends, very close ties with all the schools in the league. And I'm still shattered, frustrated, angry that the Pac-12 could be no longer. I, I'm still recovering for the UCLA-USC news. So, one, I, I, I want to, you know, as we talk about what they're going through, just acknowledge that this is a big gut punch for their student-athletes, their administrators. And so just, you know, want to give them as much great grace and space as necessary. Um, but also be there if they, you know, need a place to land. We had Dr. Livingstone at Baylor on uh, the Friday of August the 4th when eventually three schools from the Pac-12 added to what Colorado's bringing to the conference next year. And it, it still wasn't official, so she had to kind of dance around a few things, but we all knew it was coming. Um, how? Who's more aggressive right now, you as a conference or the Pac-12 as a conference or the American conference trying to figure all this out? <laughs> I wouldn't be the one. 
<laughs> I wouldn't be the one to ask. Although you did mention President Livingston. She is amazing. I had a chance to work with her on the Constitution Committee and, and a tremendous leader. A um, little bit in the same spot in that this is all fluid and ongoing. It's really hard, even for me, alone in my office, to pin down where we're at on any given day, let alone to take a public position. But suffice it to say, I think, you know, we're doing our due diligence and really just trying to keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on. How much do you as uh, a, a league like the Mountain West have to be on the offensive as much as you can and playing as much defense as you can to make sure that as the 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 wheel kind of continues to spin wildly that you continue to make sure that people know that, yes, the Mountain West deserves a shot at the playoff. Please don't change the the rules again on us. And, and let's try to get this in some sort of uh, – you know, calmness going forward so that we're not always reacting to things in college athletics that, that most schools can't control at all. Yeah. And that, that part that you mentioned about having access to the playoff is a huge priority and a credit to the mountain West first commissioner, Craig Thompson, who helped push that boulder up the hill to get that expanded playoff and to get that access point for leagues like ours. Um, but you know, it's interesting when I took my first, commissioner job at the West Coast Conference, the news of the day while I was interviewing was that the Mountain West was courting Gonzaga. And then my very first week days on the job at the Mountain West, <laughs> there's public in the news that San Diego State mm-hmm. um, was being courted by the Pac-12. So, and remember, 25 years ago, the Mountain West was the original disruptor in all this, and it was unheard of. Now, this seems like our every day, and it's incumbent upon us as commissioner and staff to really continue to think about membership expansion, communicating with our members to see, you know, what are their issues, what are they happy with, what are they dissatisfied with, um, 100 times more than I think ever in conference work. Everyone remembers the story about San Diego State, the letters, the back and forth, and you were very emphatic on what the letter meant and also back and forth eventually they stayed because, well, they just did not quite yet have an offer. But in the end, do you think you may have saved San Diego State from itself and jumping into a pool without any water? I I don't know that I would go that far at all. But I will say, you know, conference bylaws with regard to exit fees and memberships you know, they're not intended to prevent schools all out from leaving, but they are intended to protect the league when you lose members by giving them appropriate notice, one to two years notice, and resources in the form of exit fees to help backfill in either right-size negative impacts to your media contract or help buy in new members. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things that I, I've said publicly and I've said to all of our schools, I'm never going to mount a campaign to keep you from doing the best for your institution, because that's your first and foremost priority. But, you know, mine is also to protect the league and, and to make sure that we carry on and survive. And 99% of the, the time, those goals are aligned. Do you have an idea of what you'd like to see long-term for, for college athletics and particularly football uh, so that leagues like the Mountain West and AAC are, are protected? And you, you mentioned it. It's that access point, you mm-hmm. know, and I understand leagues are getting really big now and they're going to need more access than just an AQ. And 
certainly the the achievement and the quality on the field warrants that. But also, in order to have a viable ecosystem across all of FBS football, there has to be a valid access point. We have that now. I certainly understand we're probably going to end up talking about that in the FBS room, but that's something that's very, very important to the Mountain West. So since you have your law degree at Cal and they're looking to figure out what's happening with them, do you have more of a oomph because you went to Cal than maybe if they called you and asked you if teams from your conference would come to the Pac-12? <laughs> if you know anything about Cal, they definitely don't work that way. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> uh, uh, what is the ceiling, in your opinion? And and this is meant to be positive. What is the ceiling for the Mountain West Conference, in your opinion? Uh, what do you mean by ceiling? Like, how big can this conference get? And if you do expand anything that comes into your conference, does it have to make sure your revenue stays at least equal or better? Oh, I see. Like number of teams. Yes. So the I mean, obviously, the traditionally thought of ceiling is is expanding. If you look at the power, but I do think my personal preference for the Mountain West. We're currently at twelve. I think you know, fourteen, sixteen is the sweet spot. I don't know with where we are, kind of media rights, staffing, infrastructure, resources on campus. That bigger than that would be healthy for us, um, but certainly. You know, we're a little bit now on the smaller end at 12, where previously we would have been thought of as on the heavier end. We're talking to Gloria Navarez. She's the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference right here on 365 Sports. How important is it for in the first couple of years of the 12-team playoff for a Mountain West team to, you know, I mean, not win the thing necessarily, but make some noise, uh, maybe maybe put uh, put somebody away limping, as they say, you know, out of that. Absolutely. And that's what I really like about what March Madness has become. You know, the there is a place for a school like Gonzaga and a story like St. Pete's where they come out of nowhere and kick some folks in the shin. Whereas I, I'm really excited about this expanded playoff because we're looking at a really competitive football season. We have an extremely talented roster of coaches and that eight, you know, those top six AQs go to the top conference champions. And that is our goal and expectation this year. Are you concerned that if they, uh, with the Pac-12, depended on their future, that someone like the SEC or the Big Ten, some of the Autonomy Five conferences may want to take back one of those at-large bursts? Yeah, that certainly will be a discussion and, and something we'll be ready to you know debate within the CFP room. But again, my standing principle, as long as we have an access point, um, that, you know, we have a legitimate shot at, that. that's what I'm going to stand behind for the Mountain West. Isn't that like if all the workouts had started back in early August, and we've talked about this with even schools that were in the Big 12, whatever, you just want, a, you want hope, right? You want a chance yeah. that you have a belief that you're practicing for an opportunity that you're going to play for a championship. Absolutely. And if you look at pro league, all of our other collegiate NCAA championships, they're all structured with some kind of AQ system with a nod to regionality as well as legitimacy of conference validity of conference play and conference champions. Do you, obviously the 12 team playoff only has a two year contract and then it has to be reworked. How, 
is one of the things you, you kind of have to fight for is make sure you give this more time to see how it works than just two years to work the initial bugs out? Certainly. And, you know, I'm newer to the room, but um, I do sense that there's generally, um, how should I say it, an optimism around the new enterprise that is the expanded playoff. I think we've spent a lot of time talking about the opportunity, um, elevating the, the whole experience. And so I, I do I do think it will continue to be evaluated as any new enterprise of this size would be. Um, but I certainly hope it's, and I don't expect that it would go away. So with the regionality seemingly going out the window in some ways, even traditional rivalries, whatever, is there any discussion that your conference is having or even other conferences with your conference that at some point the Olympic sports and those teams might be different than actually the conference that football or men's and women's basketball are playing under? You know, that conversation has really, you know, it was introduced by the Knight Commission and several other folks kind of sat around in the back burner for a while, certainly has shuffled back up because of current realignment. Um, The Mountain West, interestingly, is, very innovative and has a whole laundry list of things we did first, like launch a linear network, football replay, um, female football, official and FBS. And so we're, we're, we're not afraid to be a testing ground in some of that. And certainly after this round of realignment settles down, those are going to be some of the topics that we will seriously consider and start modeling. How much in your opinion, especially with your degrees and where they're from and what you've accomplished on your resume, how much does an academic or educational mission statement, how much is that getting blurred right now with everybody going after the almighty dollar? You know, it's tough to say from a conference perspective because that really, when we are in the middle of our strategic planning process right now for a Mountain West, and, you know, someone referred to it, it's table stakes for any division one institution to provide a great student athlete experience and try to compete for national titles. That's what every mission value vision statement says. And I really do believe in my heart, which is why I love working in this industry that our schools take that very seriously. However, I've worked on big campuses. I know the tension between the resources needed to provide all those things that make the experience great, the support systems, the, you know, additional programming and all the event support. Um, it's no small task. And certainly schools are being put in the position to make these decisions, you know, travel costs versus the additional funding that makes sustaining these great programs possible. So I, I'm not in a position to judge at all, but I certainly understand the conflict. How important is it, uh, to it, with I don't know if realignment is ever going to go away, even if there seems to be surges, uh, maybe tidal waves at time. How important is it to try to have some clarity for your conference and your future even before the season starts, or is that an impossible task? Well, certainly it's important and desired. A lot of this is outside of our control right now because, you know, as you're reading, folks, uh, the Pac-12 schools are trying to figure out what their next step is. Media partners are involved. But, you know, more importantly, I think we owe it to our student-athletes to provide the certainty, especially the recruits, folks that are signing letters of intent. These are huge life decisions. And, you know, you thought you signed up for 
you know, experience A, and now you might be having experience B. That's that's pretty pretty tough place to be as a young person coming out of high school. With the story and the timeline, Gloria, with uh, San Diego State, so that means really nobody can leave unless they pay at least what thirty four million. If if they were to leave anytime soon, if they did it with only one year notice, with one year it's left, half okay. of it, it's half of that. If you give us two years notice, and the dollar figure is roughly. 33 million, but it's a formula that has to do with our average distribution a year. So what was that like to have that story in your lap pretty quickly after you had, not that you just took over, but being somewhat new to that position? Well, it certainly wasn't ideal. Um, And again, I think we landed in a pretty solid place. Um, I've always said the best thing for the Mountain West is that San Diego State is a active member of the league, but if they have to go do something that's better for them and better for their student athletes. Certainly understand that. So for me, it's, it's been a great outcome and doesn't mean that this is our current composition for the next 10 years by any means, because as you said, I, I don't think conference realignment um, will be over after this round at all. Is that one of those things that you find out how good you are at your job pretty early on? No. <laughs> What is good these days? Yeah. For, for, for you, if you're good, it's like it lasts a few hours. And then what other, what other darts and arrows are, are coming the way of a position? I asked you about well, the expansion. So, yeah. Yeah. So many of my colleagues have retired. Like Craig, we talked about Craig Thompson yep. being on that subcommittee who created the expanded playoff, and all four of those commissioners retired. <laughs> <laughs> like what's happening? What did Craig Thompson give you as best the best piece of advice when he was on his way out and you were on your way in? Well, you know, he I tell everyone he has built an amazing thing. This conference is so well structured, well run. Um, he has been completely gracious with his time. I had him on speed dial my first couple of months, and he's just been great in giving me the context, the story behind the actual story. You know, what went happened in the room, the why we are here today. And I mean, that, the man has so much knowledge in history. It's been really, really um, a blessing to have him be so helpful in the transition. How much is the conference trying to do whatever you can with what's happened in Hawaii with the tragedy and disaster? I, isn't it terrible? I mean, the footage coming out of there and, and the number of um, folks that didn't make it out is just uh, heartbreaking. We are partnering with the University of Hawaii on some initiatives and some support, but they're definitely taking the lead, and we are working with them. I uh, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, they, um, you know, Hawaii just athletically, football wise, has had a, a kind of a rough go of it the last couple of years. Anyway, not throwing any kind of, of tragedy on it because of, you know they they've got to build a new football stadium, all the things that 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 they have going on. So uh, I can't imagine it's been easy on them to to kind of navigate now even this tragedy either. Absolutely. And I know they have quite a few initiatives using their platforms around sports to help um, rebuild and provide resources. So a lot of credit goes to them for helping to rally support and the community through athletics and the platforms they have. I know you've got other things to do than do a radio talk show interview with us. I have a couple more questions. I asked you about whether or not if you added two or four teams, would they have to bring at least equal amount of revenue to the conference and everybody else if you added two or four teams, has anybody a network said that your television media deal would be better? Much like many other leagues, our media contracts do have triggers. 
for renegotiation if our membership expands or contracts. So um, there would be an opportunity to discuss and negotiate, but we'd have to know for sure how many schools we were getting and who they were. And that, would that be like a pro rata like the Big 12 had with some of the schools they added? Um, from my understanding, that's the starting point, but it's all subject to negotiation based on the school, the market, value, all those things. What are your impressions of what you've seen Brett Yormark do in a short amount of time? He has really been a shot in the arm as far as adrenaline to, uh, I guess, the industry, the Big 12. Um, I've had an opportunity to sit with him a couple times, and I really gleaned a, a lot of great thinking. He, he brings a different perspective. So um, I've appreciated, uh, you know, being able to pick his brain on occasion and see how he looks at our world. You know, uh, you're impressive, and we appreciate it for how you've handled the stories that have gone on with the Mountain West Conference and also how you handled uh, stories that you don't even know are coming because uh, that's what it is now in college athletics. You turn around, and here comes something else. Continued luck to you. Good luck through navigating everything that's going on in college athletics, and we do appreciate your time a lot. Thank you so much. Appreciate you both. Mountain West Commissioner, Mountain West Conference Commissioner, Gloria Navarez, on 365 Sports, and a lot of you in the chat room impressed with a lot of what she said, her answers, her insight, knowledge, and man, I'm think about it, like six, seven, eight months or whatever into her, like, becoming the conference commissioner, she has to deal with the San Diego State story, which is a, a moneymaker for them with all the units they compile when it comes especially to men's basketball. Be- being a conference commissioner is kind of like surfing now. Like you can... You can be riding the wave and smooth out, but you don't know what's coming next, you know. And it, it and you know, that I guess that's probably part of the adventure of of the job is that you know occasionally there's there's a big one that you got to try to ride or or wipe out. But yeah, I, I think you know clearly, um, you know, the Mountain West has had two really good leaders now in a row, uh, and I think moving into the twelve team playoff, I mean, there are a lot of naysayers out there. So we talk about all the time that just don't think that you know. There are teams past a couple that deserve to be in. There's people that still just want us to pick the top two and be done with it, and everybody else should should take their medicine. And then you probably ask those same people, do you like the basketball tournament? And they're like, we love it. Yep. Well, okay, well, what if we just, you know, took the top two teams every year in basketball? Conference training, all that other stuff doesn't matter. We're just going to take Duke and Kansas. They were one and two. Three and four who – have equally good records. No, we don't need them. You know, imagine then, where the NCAA tournament at one point I think had sixteen teams, and then they went to thirty-two, and it was like, oh my god. And now, of course, it's about what sixty-eight or whatever it might be now because of some of the first-round games that are basically like play-in games. Teams that are waiting in the, uh, that are like top seeds in the the next round. They've expanded over and over again. Football's about to go from zero. Think about it. Zero in college football playoff type, I guess you could say, uh, the analogy. And, and, and now they're about to get the 12. And I never thought, I always thought there should be a college football playoff. It's kind of like I, I always wondered how could athletes get more than, even though a lot of times when I was much younger, I was like, My God, they're getting the cost of education. And a lot of people still believe that. And they're getting a lot of other things. And and they're insured in a way. And and then you started seeing things change. And I 
I understood that. I, I wish it was a little bit cleaner, a little bit more out, not out front, but I, I wish the, the, the rules were a little bit more e- defined. E- easier to understand. Yeah. yeah if it was easier yeah. to understand and wrap your head around. And But in the case of, uh, like, college football, I never thought there'd be a playoff, and now we're about to be I, at 12. I think the most important thing when it comes to understanding how college sports is changing and not being mad about it is trying not to apply how things were in a certain decade that have, have long gone away. You know, yes, you know, it it used to make sense that they would pay for somebody's scholarship, but you know, tuition has gone up ridiculously. Yeah. You may not get a full scholarship. Not every athlete is a football or basketball player that gets a full ride. A lot of them don't. And school, like, you know, ask any, we have two Baylor students in here. Do they, do they feel like they've gotten a good coupon rate on their tuition in the years that they've been here? No, it just keeps going up. There's no promo code for tuition. It's not that. So things are changing. You just have to keep that in mind and i do think that with a college football playoff if people just give it a chance and more than a couple years to grow and water it i think you will see the cinderella teams win a game here and there most of the time they're not football is different than basketball you have to have a whole lot more athletes you know a basketball team can swing because you're talking about 12 scholarship players eight of whom are going to play regularly if you hit the right rotation of guys you can have something really special football it's a lot harder because you got a lot more guys in the field that's just math but at the end of it if you give more opportunity yes. then things will grow hope all right how many teams have won the ncaa tournament who were cinderellas when they got out of the first weekend won it like, even last year, San Diego State was a really good basketball team. So it wasn't shocking, but it wasn't a brand well, I mean, not, uh, They're really good. Not many. That's why it's exciting to think it no, might happen. But, but usually most of the excitement's the first couple of rounds, and if somebody's able to get into that next weekend, and then, of course, the rarity of getting into the Final Four. Most of the championships in football are won by pretty much the same probably 15 or 20 schools, and most of the basketball championships are probably won by uh, 12 to 20 schools, or maybe a little bit more. But the fact that you have Cinderella. Now, you can get TCU beating Michigan. You could have Cincinnati get to the final or the semifinals. They didn't play. They didn't win. But they got there. And everybody out there that's practicing thinks they can be Cincinnati, thinks they can be TCU, and that's all you want when you start, even though in the end the 800-pound gorillas pretty much win. Here's a, a super chat from Matt. By the way, earlier today we had a, a $20 uh, super chat, and I – I thought, let's see, T.J. Scott, thanks for having this commissioner. Would love to see the AAC commissioner on. We've out, I've reached out for Mike Oresco, uh, probably through their media relations department, communications department, maybe two, three, or four times. Also, um, uh, Matt Rogers, $10 Super Chat. Thoughts on the idea that, in, that, that down deep inside, the Big 12 would like to see Cal Stanford go to the ACC so they could buy the PAC network, add Oregon State, Washington State to fill out even more of a late window. I think that's dumb. This is from Matt. But I I have an OSU guy that's in my ads, in my timelines, my DMs, and he keeps on pushing that idea. I I agree with you. I think that's a dumb idea to buy a network that nobody wants to distribute. Uh, I, I, you know, I know that you're, you're buying it, but like, why would you buy a network that, that the other conference couldn't make work? What about they want that for Cal Stanford? So all of a sudden, does that mean they're going to go after Oregon state and Washington state, the big 12? No, I just, yeah, no, I, I don't. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I don't think they need to get anywhere near the pack network. They've got a good TV deal. Um, 
I think the pack, the remaining four need to find a way to, to get out of the rent on that building and sell the equipment and take the money that, and run uh, because it hasn't worked out for them. It was Larry Scott had an idea that like, we're going to do this ourselves and we'll be, you know, we'll start it up and we're going to be, eventually somebody's going to buy us, you know, like a microbrewery that gets bought by Anheuser-Busch. Well, that did not happen for the pack. You know, the direct TV never wanted it. They didn't like the idea. It was never their thing. And then that put that, that's one of the things that started their downfall is all that. So yeah, I would, I would stay away from that. And I don't, again, I don't know how many different ways Brett Yormark can say it. We're done for now. And Oregon state and Washington state, if they had the money in there, then they probably could have done that. But they, you know, we've heard it from Jamie Powell. There's no money left. You know, Brett Yormark says we're done for now. And that's, I think, I think you have to sit on that with Oregon state and Washington state. It sucks for them, but yeah, I don't think there's, there's any reason to buy the, you know, all right. Is it a, a pretty good question? I think I'm getting this right from Darrell MVP 24. Would the host be okay? I guess. Thank you for the question. Craig's at Baylor practice, by the way, he'll be back in 30 to 45 minutes. Paul Catalina, David smoke. Would the host be okay? If Cinderella's in football lost on average, by like 30 points per game. Now, I think you're saying football, Darrell. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. I It won't bother me. Do I want to see anyway. it, it? Cincinnati got pumped. People, I mean, yeah, I mean what? TCU. Notre I mean, Dame's been punked. Uh, team, the, this happens. Look, uh, TCU could call witnesses into the trial of what yeah. happened to them at yeah. Georgia. Yes, they ran right through us. What do they look like? A bunch of guys in red helmets that thought they'd been disrespected and we got eaten alive. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. I, it's I, I would have like, no problem with that. But, they're going to be eight games in the first hey, round. How, how many blowouts have you seen in the NCAA tournament in the Final yeah. Four that wind up? Well, how many blowouts, Paul, do you have in the first round? But we always remember the buzzer beaters and Cinderella's in the, in the last second great wins, right? Hey, that I dominates said, the hey, first weekend of the NCAA I'll tell you, tournament. In Salt Lake City, when I was there covering Baylor, when they, they played Syracuse and lost to Gonzaga, the Baylor games were both good, even though they, they were they never really could could kind of get past because it was the first weekend, but they could never really or maybe the second, but whatever it was. But they could never get to Gonzaga, you know, like that. They kept it close and it was interesting. You could see they were building something that year. That was twenty nineteen. And but I watched. I mean, I watched Auburn. Like I, I can't. I watched a Kansas game that was. You know, Amanda would have loved it because they won by forty four points. But yeah, I mean, it's just how it is. And then I watched another game that was fantastic, and I forgot what even happened at the Kansas game. You would have told me somebody scored seventy. I would have totally forgot because the game was so dull. That's just the nature of it. And there's probably going to be some blowouts, especially early on. There's blowouts now. There's blowouts now because we have fed the system of inequality for so long in the college football postseason that that's the result. But if we stop feeding it as much, maybe it won't happen. But right now, all that the system has been doing is feeding the machine. Well, maybe if you don't feed the machine as much, it won't be as bad. Well, uh, I'll tell you this. It, it, there's going to be blowouts. There are going to be blowouts in that next round, which would be the quarterfinals, and there might be a blowout or two in the two semifinals, and, heck, the championship game could be a thump or two, uh, and that happens. I mean, we've seen some national championship games between number one and number two in the country, collision courts from the before the season started, and, and then you have, for example, 95 Nebraska and Florida. It, whatever that was, right, 62-24. You're going to have 
blowouts because I mean, sometimes when two really, really, really good teams meet and one might be a little uptight or a little tense so they turn it over early, just like in many Super Bowls for a long time, you might have a cave. Like, a, it, it's a cave-in, and, and you have blowouts. Well, uh, well, look, that Nebraska game was fun to watch, even though it was a blowout. Yeah, but yeah, um, I know. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I just remember my, my best friend having to leave the room because I think he was going to cry. You told me that. Yeah, <laughs> He was just so overwhelmed because it was – we were 15. He was super excited. And I don't want to say cry, but he just – his emotions had kind of overwhelmed him in that Tommy Frazier, before you could even get a second drink – Honestly, before anybody had their second, well, we were you know drinking cherry cokes or somebody having a second beer at the game. Tommy Frazier had just you know taken their man, taking it out yeah. of them. It was over. But I was there, you know, sixty-two twenty-four, and it was I think at one point seven nothing Florida. Tim Finch, two dollars. Where the, will there be a day when Apple is the norm? Yeah, I mean. Who's stopping Apple from getting bigger? Well, let's put it this way. I never would have thought. I did not know about, like, I watched Netflix a little bit more than I ever did. I finally, I just enough, although there's going to be eventually shows I don't want to watch. But, yeah, it will be. It's like there are new streaming places, Paramount Plus and Peacock. You hear the story about some Big Ten teams. I don't, I never got a chance to read it. They're not thrilled. There's going to be some people on the Peacock, and they're not happy about it. No. Until they get the check. It's also going to affect their game time, which they don't like as well, which I, you know, uh, to me, I've never been. Yeah. But uh, look, I I can tell. So I went to see the new mission. We got to take a break to get to Taylor here, too. I went to see the new Mission Impossible movie last night. And the villain in the movie, the overarching villain, is this artificial intelligence that the governments have created that has become self-aware and sentient. It's kind of doing its own thing. And I think about that with Apple because, look, I've got an Apple Watch. You've got an Apple Watch. I've got, I have one. Uh, Think yeah. about that. I've got this iPhone. I've got this laptop right here. They've they've got a hold of me, and nobody's stopping them from getting bigger. And I'm I'm Mister. We need to bust the trusts generally. And I'm, I'm the Teddy Roosevelt fan. Like, got to break up these big companies. But nobody's stopping Apple from getting any bigger. Mm-hmm. And so once Apple figures out how to make. Apple type money on sports regularly, you know, the MLS and MLB and the things they're doing all feel a little experimental. Once they get that done, they're going to do it. You know, buying Disney or buying ESPN a few years from now would not surprise me. Buy, Apple buying anything, Apple buying the state of North Dakota wouldn't surprise me. Right. Apple or, just or saying, the Pac-12. yeah. Apple just saying, hey, guess what? Now we own Germany. We just decided to do that because we like it. Like. They have enough money, just go do it. So, yeah, there there are – nothing would surprise me. All right, when we come back, Taylor McCark, ESPN, college football color analyst. And then at 5 o'clock, a little bit after 5 o'clock, Sam Kahn. Well, no, no, at 445, Sam Kahn from The Athletic on those stories. We had the preview of the Big 12 and the tiers. We'll have him break that down. It's 431, and this is 365 Sports. Pioneer Steel and Pipe. Since 1943, they have uh, they have just thrived, and that doesn't mean that there aren't some times, and there weren't some times, or even struggles along the way with the economy or whatever the country was going through. Pioneer Steel and Pipe, locally owned and operated since 1943, and what I, I've always said about them is that 
you know, these big, huge businesses, Paul was just mentioning some of them, you come into town and they, they basically almost wipe out some local businesses because they get more of what they need and they can sell it for less than others. Pioneer Steel and Pipe never blinked. Doesn't mean it was easy. Now they have a facility that is amazing. A 2,500-square-foot showroom that's probably bigger than their old location completely, uh, I guess, combined. Uh, a 1,000 new pieces of product available, pipe, steel, and metal. The, uh, the delivery, and when someone bought something heavy and brought a trailer, pickup truck, or even maybe more to Pioneer Steel and Pipe at their old location, they could get it loaded up. It was efficient, but now you have even better access with more bays and a, an easier route to get your car, truck, SUV, whatever it is, loaded up, and maybe even an 18-wheeler. Pioneer Steel and Pipe since 1943, bigger, better, faster, and stronger, but the same values of what a handshake should mean. Right there on Loop 340, Highway 6, just east of I-35 in Waco. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDIC an equal housing lender. Where is the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you order from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu from our pasture to your plate at TexasBeefHouse.com. Samantha Duvall joins us. She's the marketing director who knows all of the specials and also the events coming up. And thank you very much, as always, for your time. So all of these holidays are over. We've hit the meat of, literally, of the summer. And your thoughts about as you hit the month of August and into football season, Samantha? Football season's right around the corner, so- that means it's perfect time for tailgating. Um, the best time to grab our hamburger patties is right now through the end of July. We still have our sale going on with our regular patties and our jalapeno and cheese patties. They're $12 a package, so that's four patties to a package. It's perfect for the time for football. Gather all your family around. That way you can grill it up. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you order from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu and how they age it as well. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby is a homegrown, locally owned pizza place that's out of this world. Everything from the dough, the sauce, the sausage topping is made fresh in-house. Not to mention the amazing pizza pillows, the chicken wings are to die for. Try the sick'em sauce, chili cheese fries or tots, plus great specials on food and drink every single day. Shorty's is also the perfect spot to watch the game with your friends. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby. Tell them Paul sent you by. 
Did you know that one out of every four men have symptomatic low levels of testosterone and don't even know it? And if you think you're too young to worry about it, guess again. Low T levels can make you feel tired and grumpy, raise your cholesterol, and cause weight gain. Petty Clinic Low T can set up same-day blood screening and results. So if you're tired of being tired, call or go online at PettyClinicLowT.com. It's a private clinic with an atmosphere catering to men. Affordable, only $165 a month, including lab work, office consultation, testosterone injections, and follow-up visits compared to $300 or more a month in Dallas or Austin. And you don't have to drive 90 miles one way or the other and fight the traffic. Petty Clinic Low T has board-certified physician consultations and will provide the best form of brand-strength testosterone. Contact Petty Clinic Low T for increased energy, improvement in sexual desire, and performance, mood, concentration, even a decrease in body and belly fat. Just off Highway 84 and Old Hewitt Drive in Woodway, PettyClinicLowT.com. is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Craig is at Baylor football practice. We'll be back in a moment. We have Taylor McCarg college football analyst with us on 365 sports on thursdays at around 4 30 and uh taylor thank you very much how much do you get not as a player now but do you still get any kind of uh week of games type butterflies as a broadcaster i think a little bit uh when you i still really enjoy the coaches calls uh i really like to be prepared for those and, and not ask the you know the stock sort of standard questions um I, I would say the piece that i still get nervous for every week is uh just on camera right before we go on because a lot of times you're doing that live and, and you know you get one shot at that um outside of that though once you get into it look there's no not nearly the level of pressure on on me or our team as there is when you're when you're playing, certainly, but I think there's still some jitters going into a game week. Taylor, the uh, preseason rankings came out, and we know that they are they don't really mean much and they're not really worth the paper to be printed on, but just curious your your opinions on who do you think maybe got uh, snubbed, who's a little overrated, who who are you kind of curious that uh, about uh, how people may feel about them without knowing the full picture? Yeah, USC to me is, is going to be really interesting, right? Because their defense clearly let them down so much last year, but they should be uh, certainly at five. I, I think that's probably about right. If you slid them down slightly, I don't think that I don't think that would be out of line. Florida State's another one that, uh, on paper, there's a ton of hype um, coming off of their performance from last year, but that's another one that how much do we trust what they have coming back? And then Texas, you guys know, I mean, we talked last week. You guys know how I feel about them. I think that's a team that people just need to be prepared that that could end up being a dark horse semifinal team. They, they could crack the top four this year if they play up to the potential. But we've been burned year in, year out for the last decade on uh, believing Texas is back. And then they roll out of, you know, a seven and five, eight and four, or even a couple of years ago, five and seven type team. This is not that team for Texas. I think where they're at preseason is probably fine, but we just need to all be prepared that this could be a special year for Texas. And it wouldn't shock me at all if 
that is a team that wins the Big 12 in their last year in the conference. Could this be a special year for them because of what they're doing or because it appears Oklahoma has slipped a little bit and, of course, Kansas State, TCU coming off the years they've had and people just say they still may not trust them? Yeah, I think it's both. And I think uh, it's a a totally fair point on the Big 12 and that it, it might be a down year for the Big 12. But also, we will know as a measuring stick where they really are when they go to Tuscaloosa. If they go, and certainly if they win, but even if they lose close, and then they were to run the rest of the Big 12, obviously that's a deserving team to be in the Final Four. Um, but we'll find out pretty early on in that schedule with that test at, at Alabama. I think OU, I expect them to be much better in year two than they were in year one under Brent Venable. Same thing for Texas, their first year under Sark, not even a bowl team. They lose at home to Kansas. Year two, there's a clear step up, and they lost their starting quarterback for a chunk of the season. But there is so much depth on that team. Getting Catalan at safety from the transfer portal from Arkansas, that's a huge get for them. That wide receiver room is stacked. The best offensive line Texas has had since the Mac Brown days, uh, the 2008-2009 vintage of Texas. So, there's a lot of reasons to be excited. Really, the only area that I think there was a step backwards was running backs. And even there, I still think that room has, has plenty of talent. But uh, it does help them that I think top to bottom, the Big 12, aside from them, I do think is weak this year. And uh, Iowa State, that's another team that they've got to go on the road and play. But now with the scandal that they're wrapped up in, that doesn't that road game doesn't have nearly the teeth that it did two months ago. Taylor, if you're Matt Campbell, how do you drill down and handle that? I mean, there's only, you got to just go with what you have on the roster, but as far as morale and everything going on with the team and getting through this, which is going to be a firestorm uh, no matter what, uh, you know, it just depends on how, how big it grows. How do you handle this if you're Matt Campbell? Yeah, I think you got to have the us against the world mentality, but you got to do it tactfully, and you've got to try as best you can to keep your kids focused on what's going on in the building day in and day out and try and tune out the noise. But that's really difficult with college kids. Those are the types of things that pros are obviously, they're obviously much better at that when there's some sort of off the field scandal or there's some sort of issue. Professional athletes are much better at don't listen to the news. Don't even open Twitter or, or any sort of social media during the season, but college kids just aren't that way. It's just not realistic to expect that from 18 to 22 year olds. But that's the message that, that you have to convey through the season because it's going to be really challenging, not just because you lost your starting quarterback, but because this is impacting players that you have on the team right now. Some of your alumni that have moved on or are playing at a high level in the NFL, it impacts your, your rival in Iowa, that game that means so much to both of those teams. Now it's embroiled and, and all the storylines that are going to be leading into that week are going to be about this gambling scandal. So it's look, there, there's no other way around it. It's going to be a really challenging year mentally for Iowa State. Taylor, I, I know that most of these reports, in fact, I think most of the reports about Rice and where they might be, end up going, we know what's happening with the Pac-12, but I've seen most of those shot down. As someone that's like in that community, uh, was that ever legitimate among anybody at Rice that they might be going somewhere else? Because that doesn't seem to be happening, in my opinion. If there was, I wasn't made aware of it. And the people that I know that are around the program, there was nothing that was ever brought up to me that seemed to, to really have legs. I think Rice, uh, I know Rice is really excited about their opportunity in the American Conference. That was a big deal for them to get out of Conference USA and into the American Conference. I think 
for the conference as a whole. And now this is my opinion. This is not from anything that I've heard from either the, the American conference or Rice. I think the opportunity to grab any of the schools from the Pac-12, what's remaining from the Pac-12, that certainly enhances the American conference. But there hasn't been anything that's been presented so far that, and I agree with you, it really feels like it has legs. It also feels like we're running out of time in this, this remaining window where this probably gets pushed out the next season. I think it almost certainly gets pushed out the next season. But the piece that's still interesting to me is what happens ultimately with SMU. Because they, they have not been bashful about wanting to get to a Power 5 conference, and it really feels like now they're putting all their eggs in the basket of, a, of the ACC because the Big 12, you know, if they're to be trusted, which I think they've been very clear with their messaging, they're done now. They're good. They're, they've turned off talks with UConn and Gonzaga from a basketball perspective. And now if you're SMU, what does that look like moving into 2024? Do they continue to try and bang on the door of the ACC? And do they ultimately move to that conference? Yeah, it just feels to them, you got to feel, I feel a little bit bad for SMU in that, you know, they're they're telling the ACC probably everything a lot of the schools want to hear, but the ACC has bigger problems in that not everybody seems to want to be in that conference right now. Some publicly, some probably privately. ACC's top priority has to be retaining Clemson and Florida State. SMU is interesting because they're just a little bit behind on the initiatives that they now have in place with the money that they've raised. The NIL, they are as active in the NIL space as you're going to find, certainly from the group of five level, but even that sort of bottom power five tier school, SMU is right there. Uh, the end zone facility that they're building, the upgrades to the facilities, it's all there, but it's just not there yet. And I think that probably has something to do with it. Again, that's just speculation for me. But what I do know is Brett Lashley, even to us, they've been very clear that the American Conference and the new look American Conference with the six schools that have come in, that is not where they want to be long term. It's just going to be interesting to see, you know, do they find a home elsewhere and it looks like, again, that probably, if it is somewhere, it's probably in the ACC. All right, last thing, and we appreciate it, Taylor McCarg, ESPN uh, broadcast. You said you're also doing something on the CBS Network is right as well, right? Got some games there as two? As two? Yeah, doing, uh, doing some Conference USA okay. with CBS as well. So Alabama is fourth. And most people would, like, wake up and be the happiest, like, program on earth. It's the lowest they've been ranked since 2009 when they started the great run under Saban as far as winning the national title. Is that, and I've, I've covered this a long, long time. There's been great rivalries, but is that insane that it's been that long since they've been ranked fourth or lower in the top 25 preseason poll? Well, no, it, it just it speaks to uh, what an incredible run and historic run it's been under Nick Saban. I mean, you think about as long as I have been involved in college football, Nick Saban, which I got to write in 2009, that program has been elite. And being ranked fourth, that was one going back to your first question. I guess you could flip Alabama and Ohio State in my mind and have Alabama jump them because both of those teams are sorting through quarterback problems right now. Not problems, just working through who their guy is going to be. And if you're asking me, who do I trust between those two programs? I'm going to take Nick Saban over Ryan Day in getting to the college football playoff and getting it figured out. Go back to Jalen Hurts and Tua and how he managed them in the national championship and down that stretch a few years ago. So it's not new to Alabama to have to sort through quarterback problems and a competition. And again, I don't think 
whoever they name week one, it wouldn't surprise me at all if over the course of the season you see more than one guy play, especially uh, down the line in the back half of the schedule. So we'll see what happens. But um, again, I would trust Nick Saban over Ryan Day when it comes to getting that sorted out and getting them up to speed, uh, even though there is, this is the most uncertainty that we've seen from Alabama in a long, long time. But until proven otherwise, I think Nick Saban deserves the benefit of the doubt. Taylor, thank you very much, and we'll see you next week or talk to you next week. Taylor McCarga, college football analyst for ESPN and also doing, as you mentioned, some games for Conference USA. The Earl Campbell-Tyler Rose Award watch list came out. An interesting name for me that jumped out. I went all the way down to the bottom of the list, and there's a bunch of names. These are players who played high school ball or from Texas, or they play college football even if they're out of state for colleges in Texas. At the last name on the list, Jacob Zeno, quarterback at UAB, former Baylor quarterback. And these, again, these are this is the watch list. This is the starting point. And I just happened to – I saw that name. There's players from the various schools in the Big 12 and also – in the state of Texas. Sam Kahn, theathletic.com. We had a great time to start the show, Sam. You and Justin Williams in your Big 12 preview. I, I love the uh, article and the tears uh, of how you broke them down. Which team was the hardest for you to perhaps place in a tier? I think Baylor was. I, I re- That was the one I struggled with the most because I think they belong where we put them, but and I would say it's not just Baylor. I would say Baylor, Oklahoma State, I think are both in a similar spot where they had underwhelming years last year when we had higher expectations for them. Mm-hmm. And so to what degree do those teams bounce back? Are we talking about they win a couple more games or are we talking about they're a Big 12 title contender? Um, and I would even say to some degree, I think TCU was a struggle to, to rank because I think some people would argue maybe they deserve to be in the top tier just based on the respect of what they accomplished last year and how they reloaded. But but I, I do think that you have to take into account the amount of production they lost. So I would say that there was cer- certainly several that I think we had trouble with, but I would say, yeah, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and TCU would have been the hard one, hardest ones for me. Sam, who from the bottom tier would be the biggest surprise to you if they – I'm not saying won the conference, but – but had a smooth sailing this year, more or less. I think it's Houston. Uh, They're the team that I think I have the most concerns about. And it's funny because West Virginia, I think, was ranked last in the preseason poll. And and I honestly, I I don't know why. Maybe it's Neil Brown's confidence that maybe is is taking exception to that. But I have a feeling West Virginia is going to be a little bit better than than that. I don't think that I don't see them finished in the bottom of the conference. I think all four of the new teams are going to have a little bit of an adjustment period. Uh, as they get into this Big 12 schedule. And it's not its not the competition per se, but it's the depth. It's what happens in week eight, week nine, week 10, when you're playing these Big 12 teams that have been recruited at a Big 12 level for years and years, and, and you are just now doing that. And, and I look at Houston as a, as a program where I have questions on the offensive line. How good are they going to be up front? Losing Alton McCaskill in the portal, I think, was a big blow because that's the kind of a player you need in the Big 12. And then defensively, they were just so bad last year. I do think they have a lot of talent on D, as you think they have a lot of potential on D, but they just fell off the map after being one of the best defenses in the country in 2021. So they're the one that I have the most questions about. And if, if Houston were to come out and go 8-4 and four in their first year in the Big 12, I think it'd be pretty shocked. I think your initial comments about Baylor, you know, we struggle with that. And, and when I say struggle, 
is that I, I was, I'm of the opinion, I'm always one of those that's more conservative. You want to get back into a bowl game. Well, that, that needs to happen because otherwise that's 2-7, and 12-2, and 6-7 bowl team, but you lost. And then if you don't get to a bowl, that would be obviously disappointing. I get a quiet sense that the coaching staff is very confident in this team. And I think most are, but I kind of get the feeling they're very confident in what they've been able to put together. Um, Brigham Young. Eight and five last year, had a four-game losing streak. All five losses were uh, four, three or four of them were very close. They also had some close wins. What do you expect from them if Keaton, Keaton Slovis can just play pretty well? Yeah, if he can play well, that would certainly help. Uh, this, of, of the four newcomers, this is the one you would suspect would be most ready to play this kind of schedule, right? Because they have played mm-hmm. a schedule that's closer to a Power 5 schedule than any of the other three newcomers. So that you have that that helps a little bit. Uh, they, they've just got to get better defensively, and certainly they made a, a change on that side of the ball. So, so that that's really where I want to see them get better. Is is can they get a lot better defensively? And, and Slovis, how quickly does he come along? How quickly do they develop? And, and, and how quickly do they mesh as an offense? But I would not be shocked if the, the BYU is a team that if they won seven eight games, it would not stun me at all. Just because they they are used to a grind that's a little bit tougher than. Houston or UCF or Cincinnati. Sam, uh, you have Oklahoma in the top tier, and they've got to, you know, they've got to earn their way back, right, to to what they were. But they've they appear to have at the top level of their roster a lot of guys who can hang. But they are going to have to stay healthy, aren't they? Absolutely, no. That that there's a hundred percent, and I think you would if you would ask the coaches there, they would tell you that 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 the amount of depth on the roster that was left there when, when they took over is not what they suspected that it would have been. I, I thought they did a really good job in the portal this year uh, in the soft season. They added a lot of impact defensive players that I think are going to help. Uh, and then I, I, I love how they recruited. I mean, they, they got some real big time players in the recruiting class, obviously a top five recruiting class. Um, they, I think they do have to earn it. And, I, and you know, as we place these, uh, we talked about who do we struggle with. I did struggle with Oklahoma a little bit too, because, they, they did fall off so badly last year. And, I, I mean, I was at Red River when they lost 49 nothing, and I know they didn't have Dylan Gabriel for that game. But, my goodness, they were bad. <laughs> I had never seen an Oklahoma team look that bad. Uh, and so that was a little jarring for me. But I do – I think I still place them in the top tier based on just frontline talent. I, I do think they're going to they're gonna rebound to a degree. And I do still have a belief in Brent Venables. I think this is a big year for him. But he, he's a guy who has been obviously – successful years at Oklahoma as an assistant and part of championship team at Clemson. And so he knows what it looks like. And I think that was a great hire for them in the long term because he's going to a place in the SEC where he's already had to win recruiting battles against those big SEC powers because that's the waters that Clemson was swimming in in recruiting. So I think long term, I think he's going to get that program where they need to be. But certainly they need a big bounce back here because, brother, Oklahoma fans are not used to being six and seven. I can promise you that. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. Obviously, they're not. It, it had been since the year before Stoops took over. My question is, and, and Craig's brought this up, he's a lifelong Oklahoma fan. They're moving into the SEC, and they should at least bounce back. But how many fan bases excited about the new conferences, the amount of money that their schools are going to get, even though the fans get none of that? unless it leads to NIL money uh, because it means better players. But how many are them are, how many are really like set to know 
that you might go eight and four more often than you go twelve and let's say uh, uh, ten and two. <laughs> that that's the thing. That's the fascinating part about it because it is such a grind in that conference with at the top level. Because when you're playing, when you're if you know right now in the Big Twelve, there's a lot of good teams from top to bottom. And the grind in the Big Twelve is tough. But if the top tier of teams is not at the level that Alabama and Georgia and LSU are, and if you're playing multiple of those, and then you're also playing a quality non-conference opponent. Boy, that's a hard that's a hard grind, and you're also now recruiting in the against those teams. So, if you finish fourth in recruiting in the country, which they I think that's what Oklahoma finished this last year. Guess what? That's also fourth in the SEC. Yeah, because Alabama, Georgia, and LSU recruited out of you. So that that and that, that is one of the things. Like as we saw A and M go to the SEC, that was one of the biggest adjustments for them. Is okay, sure, we have a top ten recruiting class. But if we rank eighth in the country recruiting, we may be sixth on our own conference mm-hmm. because that's that's the level you're recruiting. Those are the level players you're seeing every week. That is a hard adjustment, and it's going to be a hard adjustment for those fan bases. But the question I have is, how do you measure success? Because winning conference titles at the clip that Oklahoma did in the Big 12, that's just not going to be a reality in the SEC because of how deep it is or how stacked it's going to be at the top. But are you going to be okay with making the college football playoffs on a consistent basis? Because that – that to me is is essentially the bar for success for everybody. If you're not if you're not winning a national championship, if you're not Alabama, or you're not Georgia, or you're not Ohio State. I think that bar and Oklahoma, you you know, considering their history, you would consider them with those programs. But is getting to a college football playoff consistently in the 12 team field good enough? And that's the question I have for Oklahoma fans. And how does that look? Uh, if they're able to do that enough, but they don't win a title for, you know, the next five or six years. Well, I mean, I think, and I don't know if fan bases will realize this, Sam, but trying to finish 12th is going to require a lot less stress than trying to finish fourth every year. So I do think ultimately that most schools, especially the ones that are like Oklahoma, will maybe enjoy it a little bit more. And that way, when you don't, like the couple years that Oklahoma didn't win the league, they're not walking around Norman aimlessly going, what what happened? I mean, I I remember when Baylor went there in in 2014 and beat the brakes off of them. Bob Stoops got so mad at local media because he, he was trying to explain, like, yeah, every year is not sunshine and roses. Like, sometimes things happen and you 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 can't get out of the way. The other guys get a scholarship. Yeah, too. you know, but if you're trying to tell them, like, look, we're trying to get to 12th, this is a building year, then I think most fans are going to be easier. It's going to be easier on them. Yeah, it, 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 it moves the goalposts a little bit, and it, it's going to take, you know, like you said, it's not a do-or-die situation, and, and that's what we're going to lose with the 12-team playoff is in the BCS world or the 14 playoff world, one loss could knock you out. Two losses certainly did. Now, a nine and three SEC team is going to have a really good shot to get in, just based on strength of schedule and the way the way we know that the playoff college football playoff committee grades these things. We know the SEC and the Big Ten teams typically get ranked higher than the other ones. That's that's going to probably stand true. So, if you're a nine and three Oklahoma team on a, a, in the Big Twelve, a nine and three year in Oklahoma is probably going to have the fans. A little antsy and a little upset, but a 93 year in the SEC, in that 16 team SEC, you're probably feel a little bit better, and you go in that tournament having a chance. And if you're able to win a couple games, then who knows what happens? Yeah, it's not like getting to the college football playoff is like when you became bowl eligible. That was nice because you got another game, especially if you're an up and coming program. But for schools that were 
the mega alpha dog blue bloods that was like, well, we should get one. Now getting into the, uh, the field of 12 will be kind of special. Uh, Sam, great stuff. We love the article. Uh, fantastic job, you and Justin Williams, the tears and more. And thanks for your time for being on the show today. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. I'll take care. Sam Kahn, theathletic.com, coming up next, uh, the 5 o'clock hour. I, I will do that image that I sent to you. An interesting note. I love these images as the season gets up. Brett, Brett McMurphy also has a lot of great historical uh, perspective on his site about certain things. Um, but which programs have had the most unanimous All-Americans since 2010? We'll throw that image up when we come back, see if you can help. How many are on that? Don't, don't show it, Garrett, but how many teams? Like 10, 8? It looks like 10. Okay, Ten schools with the most unanimous, uh, not consensus, unanimous, all Americans will come back with that list. Some of them are going to be the ones you think, but there's a couple others maybe you are like, wow, this is 365 sports. We have had a lot of you, and I can't thank you enough for supporting our great sponsors and all the ones we have. But I also know that a lot of you have purchased from TexasBeefHouse.com. Some big, big orders, some orders, maybe a, a gift pack. I, I I still have, in fact, a couple of New York Strip steaks that I have in the freezer. I was thinking about putting one or two of them on the grill this weekend, having one as a steak, and also using the other one to maybe do some stir-fry. Retired stockbroker recently bought, and he told me what it was. You call Samantha. You go to TexasBeefHouse.com. The numbers are there. Samantha Duvall is who you will talk to, and sometimes it might be Aaron Duvall or his son. He, he bought the, uh, the starter grill, had a pack of eight burgers, five garlic sausage, two fillets, two strips, and two big sirloins. Uh, she threw in a summer sausage in that pack for $139.50. They have specials. By the way, if you go to TexasBeefHouse.com and contact them and you order something, tell them that you want to use the SICKEM code. It's hashtag SICKEM, S-I-C-E-M-10, uh, one zero, and you get 10% off, I believe, either your first order or maybe orders after that. Where's the best beef in Texas? It's at your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas-raised Wagyu from our pasture, their pasture, to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. What makes their steak so special? Uh, The Wagyu Bulls are DNA tested to pure Wagyu and also registered with the American Wagyu Association. They know what they're doing. It's unbelievable. The ranch is just outside of Tyler in East Texas. Aged beef, there's a difference with what they do there, too. It's TexasBeefHouse.com. I hate my job, but I don't mind getting up in the morning. I dread each day, but I can't wait to get out of bed. You ask me why, and what I'll say to you is true. Well, you can get breakfast tacos at Rudy's Barbecue. Scrambled eggs and brisket, they ain't fooling around. Salsa wrap, son, they're the best in town. Barbecue for breakfast, yes, it's true. Put a smile on your morning at Rudy's Barbecue. Next in line. 
Caesars is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas. They have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold, plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or drawing and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco. Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness on Lakeshore Drive is a premier elite life-changing experience where you can change your mind, body, and soul. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness offers over 40 group exercise classes every week, including boot camp, indoor cycling, bar, silver sneakers, and more. If you haven't been to Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness lately, you're missing out on the improvements. New flooring in the weight room floor and locker rooms, new paint and mirrors added to the weight room and group exercise room, and many new machines have been added and arriving constantly on the weight room floor. New free weights, weight machines, TRX, rowing machines, stationary bikes, new treadmills, new ellipticals on the spacious weight room floor. Personal training with Christy London, Randall Corley, Alex Box, and welcome to Nathan Roach, where you will be encouraged and motivated to grow. A kids club included with your membership plus sauna, whirlpool, and tanning bed. 16 tennis courts plus a beautiful stadium court and longtime youth tennis pro Britt Coleman and assistant junior Kenneth. Adult tennis lessons and clinics with Blake and the commitment to pickleball with eight courts and instructor Jody Thurman. Visit the website at WacoTennis.com or visit us at Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness next to Hawaiian Falls on Lakeshore Drive in Waco. Three sixty five sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. All right, this 5 o'clock hour, we appreciate all of you who are watching us on 365 Sports, also listening to us and possibly watching us on the Sikkim 365 app. It is fantastic if you have not tried it. It really is, and it is iPhone only, which I know that for some of you that's a little frustrating. All right, so since 2010, if in the top of your head or mind, whatever that is, you could pick 10 schools who had the most. We're going to do this before you put the image up. Let's see if we can get close. The 10 schools who have the most unanimous All-Americans in college football since 2010. Uh, Paul, you take a couple of teams. I'm going to say Alabama. Two. Give me two teams. And Ohio State. Okay. Craig? Oklahoma and um, Clemson. All right. Since when is this? 2010. Okay. Yeah, I still feel good. 
I don't know if this is right. I'm going to say LSU. Well, 2019 alone. Well, yeah, they had 19 of them. 19 yeah. unanimous. So I'm going to say LSU. And I'm gonna I'm gonna like throw a wild card out there and say like Wisconsin just because of the offensive linemen and linebackers. I'm sure that's not even close. All right, here's the list of ten: Alabama with 23, Ohio State with nine, Iowa, and Georgia with seven. LSU probably all in the same year with six. Look who's at five. Hey, look who I, I want you to look. Look who I wrote down. Baylor. No, I, 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 yeah. I that's, Baylor's it right there on that list. Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Florida State, and then there's Stanford with what they have. And, of course, uh, probably more towards the 2010 than maybe 2018 or so. But those, leave that up for a little bit, Garrett. And look at that list in Alabama way out in front. That's not a surprise. No, uh, it's not. I thought there might be more Georgia in the last couple of years than than seven. But um, <coughs> Iowa doesn't surprise me. They always get like, you know, every other year there's some They've kind of good super stud back. line. Like, yeah. like Jack Campbell from this last yeah. year. You know, there's, a, there's always a guy like that there. Ohio State's a little lower uh, than I thought it would have been. They're um, number two. I mean, number overall, oh, okay. like okay. 23 to, you know, the only nine uh, there at, at Ohio State. Uh, LA, like, all the ones at five uh, on down the list may even come out of, like, one. I know Baylor's didn't, but FSU's might have come out of mostly out of 2013, and LSU's might have come mostly out of 2019. Yeah, so I went over for 2, uh, surprised uh, to not see either Oklahoma or Clemson on there, but I guess, you know, unanimous All-American is a hard feat to achieve. So, uh, yeah, I mean, no surprise that Bama's on top. Ohio State's like the easy other, you know, 1B default answer, I think, for most categories like this. Soon enough, Georgia will be, you know, the 1C to that. Um, and it may already be 1B in, in so many ways, but, yeah, I mean, uh, surprising to see uh, Baylor on there. I mean, it is. They've had, you know, a Jalen Petrie and a guy like that, but I'm trying to think of, I guess, since 2010, that lets you have Corey Coleman, Corey Coleman. and guys like that too. So, yeah, that, that 2010 part is um, the caveat there um, that kind of changes, uh, you know. Who would be the five? You mentioned Coleman. You mentioned Petrie. Drango. Um, James Lynch. Possibility. Unanimous, maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, and who would be – Xavier Howard didn't get very much credit mm-hmm. at all when he was in college. Uh, golly. Would it be another wide receiver? Would it be Billings? No. I don't think no. he was unanimous All-American. I don't even know if he was All-American. It's a good name, yeah, though. No, yeah. That's a good guess. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I had to sit and think about it. Maybe James Lynch. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Sean Oakman, was he unanimous All-American? I don't think so. No. Um so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who that would be. But, uh, you know, that's that's impressive. I mean, I, I think that's the thing, though, that they've got to be wary of when you're talking about the new Big 12 and all this jazz about who's in, who's out, who's going to be on top. You know, Baylor, um, you know, in particular, hasn't really been able to grab momentum and run with it ever in their entire existence. They're good, and then scandal happens and Browse is fired. Take a couple years to get good again, get good again. They play Oklahoma. And if not for Chris Platt being run down in an incredibly athletic play by uh, OU's defense, then maybe they win a, a title with, with Rule. 
Um, then they went and ran into the, the soon-to-be juggernaut that was Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. But, you know, he got them back to that point. They played for a Big 12 title and, and lost in a close game, played in a Sugar Bowl. Then he leaves. It's back to square one again. And then Aranda by year two, he's got them there. And now Aranda's actually sticking around. And it appears he could stick around for a long while. But because of the way the last year's gone, you're like, yeah, but if he's going to do that, he needs, they need to be better than, yeah. than what we saw last year. So, uh, yeah, they're they're filled with potential. But they just never hit on the coach and the timing and, and all that to where it could last for much longer than, you know, a couple of years. And, and I think Browse and those teams were going to be the exception yep. to that. They were on a they run. They were on a run. They were yep. on a five-year five run, and there was going to be a 10- or 15-year run. I have no doubts in my mind about that. But as we know, um, didn't have all their ducks in a row and, and all their business taken care of on and off the field. And, and you know, your, your thoughts or whatever can, can be on that. But um, there's the potential there for sure. Terrence there's, Williams? Yes, yeah. Levi just sent this. Terrence Williams, Cyril, Cyril Richardson. Okay. Offensive yeah. lineman. Uh, oh, Levi did. Okay, good. Corey Coleman, you mentioned him. James Lynch is on that list. And Drango. And Spencer Drango, I think, my, twice uh, may who, have been. When he did the postgame show with me, people asked me if he was my, my son. Perhaps, son or brother? Perhaps know, the, brother, but. not the biggest recruit that Baylor had in that run where they were really good from 2010 until whenever, But because RG3 and flipping from Houston when Browse left Houston, but probably as big a name as they've had who committed to them along with Katie Cannon and a couple of others since uh, in the last 10 or 12 years. So that's a nice number for Baylor. And I was surprised that Clemson or Oklahoma – did not have somebody on there. Wisconsin just kind of like like Iowa. They just have a lot of linemen or defensive players that seem to be at that All American level. Yeah, and I my what I was trying to get at is that you've got TCU now, who's uh, in the driver's seat to be really good for a long time. I uh, just based on their setup. I know Texas Tech feels like they're getting there. You know, proof will be in the pudding this year. You know, as far as how both those teams perform. Uh, but I think you've got to have Baylor in there. I think Oklahoma State has every right to feel like they are one of those teams. And, you know, if not for that magical play at the goal line with Jerry McVeigh, I mean, they were Big 12 champs two years ago. Mm-hmm. And the whole narrative around them, is Spencer Sanders still around? Or, you know, I mean, a lot a lot could have, been, could have been different based on a couple of inches, really. Uh, so, you know, I think we kind of just forget about Oklahoma State sometimes or just – I, I just I don't know. We we don't prop them up like we do other teams. And they've had more consistency than anybody else in the conference, perhaps other than Oklahoma, for the last two decades. And so there's the, those four right there that I think are all great candidates. I, I do I don't think there's going to be a dominant team there. There wasn't a I mean Oklahoma was dominant, um, but besides that, I mean that that's the only example of somebody just running through the Big Twelve. Um, you know, granted it's not a, a hundred year history like you know. Some others may have a, a you know decades worth uh, of proof in the pudding, but yeah, I think it's going to be a free for all, and and I think all those teams that I just mentioned all have you know big reasons why they believe they can be a part of that mix. But then there's a lot of others. I mean, K State needs to be in that mix. They just won it last year, so there's five teams um, that you know are going to be contenders. I think in most years, and there's several others that could uh you know utah obviously is going to be a part of that at one point byu feels like they can be ucf feels like they can be it's uh it's going to be fun to check back in in about a decade you know hope god willing and look at what actually took place because it's it's uh it's a free-for-all i think in so many ways this new conference you know what i'm going to miss about the big 12 though in football i really am and it's it's never going to be this way again is that everybody played everybody every year so you didn't yep. get a break with the schedule based on maybe one team's up or two teams are down or whatever. Is that everybody 
was going to play everybody, and I think that's also why it was so competitive, no matter how many times Oklahoma won it. And then we've seen what's changed over the last four to seven years. Alabama has the most ever unanimous All-Americans with 41. Ohio State with 37. The top five is Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and then Southern Cal. This is 365 Sports. Marco's Pizza, pizza lovers, get it? Marco's Pizza owner Bob Mock, five locations in the Waco area, Woodway, Robinson, China Spring, Hewitt, and also in Belmede. In fact, when Marco's delivers here to the studio, in our beautiful studio, it comes from the store in Belmede. Bob Mock's been in the pizza business a long, long time. I delivered pizzas for a couple of different years, so I know a little bit about the business. I am very impressed with what Marcos has done, the fastest-growing pizza brand in America. Uh, you can get what you want online, marcos.com, the specials. There are code numbers. You can call in, pick it up yourself, have it delivered. Marcos Pizza. Pizza lovers get it. Come shop the greatest selection in Central Texas and save big on Ram trucks during the Make This the Summer event at Allen Samuels in Waco. Get a 2023 Ram 1500 Lone Star Crew Cab, 20% off MSRP or 2.9% for 72 months. The choice is yours. Plus, if you're a first responder, you get an extra $500 bonus cash. We've got the inventory and we're making big deals. Hurry in today. They won't last long. Allen Samuels in Waco is the place to shop Ram trucks. Nations Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers too. Nachos and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vanderbilt off I-35 in Carrollton. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Custom Marketplace is your hometown grocery store with a full-service butcher shop and baker. Hi, this is David Smoke. The butcher shop can take your customized orders for seafood, pork, and poultry and custom cut your favorite steaks from bacon wrap fillets to T-bone to bone and ribeyes. Cut specifically the way you want. They have Norwegian salmon fillets, catfish fillets, sliced ham or turkey and lunch meat, variety of cheese available, and several options of sausage links. Fresh chicken breast or whole chickens, sliced bacon, pork chops, ground beef, marinated beef, and chicken fajitas, and always large briskets available, plus fresh vegetables. So the great product, customer service, and family tradition of the Bauer family continues at Waco Custom Marketplace, open Monday through Saturday. A full-service butcher shop and bakery available. Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco. Or WacoCustomMarketplace.com.
takes time to reach goals. It's a truth that applies to more than sports. It goes for your financial goals as well. You work hard for your money, and you deserve an investment strategy that lines up with your game plan. And Chuck Verno, your Edward Jones financial advisor, can help. If financial investments aren't putting forth the effort you desire, stop by today for a financial review. Chuck Verno, 720 North 64th Street in Waco, 254-732-1161. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 5 o'clock hour is brought to you by Edward Jones Investments and financial advisor Chuck Verno, who'll navigate you through today's financial climate. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Emery Winter, Levi Carraway, Jack McKenzie, Garrett Ross in the studio doing all of the, uh, the best of uh, what they do, which is everything. Appreciate them every day being a part of what we do, and not just for what we're on the air live, three to six, but much more. Now, the starting quarterbacks in the Big 12, a lot are back. It doesn't seem like there's a lot, but then Blake Shapin is back. Now, Baylor fans were probably a little nervous about that, but he's a returning starter. Returning starter at Kansas is Jalen Daniels. Will Howard at Kansas State. Dylan Gabriel. Returning starting quarterback at Oklahoma. Quinn Ewers at Texas. I guess you could say Tyler Shuck because he did help him down the stretch when they played well after being injured early. Well, he was named the starter to start with. Yeah. So Plumlee, the only reason he wasn't was because he got hurt. Yes, yes. Plumley at, at UCF. And then here are the other ones. Tell me if you think they're better or worse. And again, we'll, evidence will be here soon. Brigham Young has Keaton Slovis last year, Jaron Hall. I mean, worse uh, in my mind, but I think he could be better. I don't think Jaron Hall had like the crazy year that I, you know, like Heisman run or something like that. You know, when you first saw him, you thought he's going to have a huge year. I mean, he had, he's fine to good, um, but. I don't think he was so good. They're like, oh, there's no way Keaton Slovis can be better than he was. I No, I mean, but I'd, I'd lean to, to Jaron Hall right now. Paul Cincinnati, Emory Jones from Florida, and last year it was Ben Bryant. Oh, this is a downgrade. I mean, it's they're going to have tr- problems. I mean, unless Scott Satterfield has, has got the magic key to Emory, unlocking Emory Jones' athleticism, which has never really been in question. It's just, I mean, it's... You know, it's kind of like unleashing a, the Tasmanian devil out there. Like sometimes, you know, some things could be good, but there's a lot of destruction in his wake. I saw where Anthony Richardson, by the way, was named the starting quarterback of the Colts, former Florida I'd, star. Combine. I, I disagree. Uh, I think he could be better than Ben Bryant. I don't think that would be hugely difficult to do. I mean, Ben Bryant's, uh, he's no Desmond Ritter. Like, yeah. I mean, if, if we're talking Desmond Ritter, then yeah, no chance. But uh, Ben Bryant, I no, I, I think Emory Jones can be better than him. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's one of those, it's not an automatic that I go, oh, yeah, definitely an upgrade. But, yeah, could be, absolutely, could be. Clayton Toon from Houston last year, and now they have former Tech quarterback 
And he does struggle with throwing the picks in Donovan Smith. Uh, it's going to be tough, I think, for for Donovan Smith to to match Clayton Tune. Clayton Tune was a really good college player. Uh, he's trying to make the Texans right now. Uh, so we'll or the Cardinals. I'm sorry, the Cardinals. So uh, yeah, I, I, we'll see what happens there. But um, I, Donovan Smith has potential. We haven't seen a full season with him as a starter uh, at Texas Tech. We haven't seen a full system season at Houston I think that the talent around him is not where he's going to need it to be or where it was for Clayton Toon year one of the big 12 so that's going to be tough and and I really did lie I thought Clayton Toon was a really good player uh yeah I think it's uh Clayton Toon till I see otherwise Donovan Smith turns the ball over too much uh he definitely cost Tech some some uh potential wins last year uh based on some of his turnover issues great you know um Athlete, and I'm sure that Dana Hogerson will get a lot out of him. He'll be fine. He'll be fine to good to, to pretty good. But, I mean, comparing to a guy who played four years as a starter, like, I mean, come on, what are we doing here? Versus the, the number three quarterback in Lubbock who's now your starter. Yeah, give me uh, Clayton Toon over Donovan Smith for the moment. All right, let's go to Iowa State. Hunter Deckers was expected to be back, although they, like Cole, uh, Beck and Tanner Hughes now in, in that mixed bag of what they have. And I say that only because there's a lot of options at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Because we haven't seen any of these guys, really. And that's going to be a, a struggle. I know that they really like Cole. Uh, the, the But really liking a guy and the guy being ready to, to help you win in the Big 12 is uh, they're not necessarily uh, you know in the same Venn diagram all the time. So... Yeah, I, I mean, that's going to be tough. I, whatever happens at Iowa State is going to be tough. Like, the morale, all that, it's going to be tough. They're in for a long year. Uh, even if they, they wind up playing well, it's going to feel like a, a year that, you know, they're going to play 12 games, and it's going to feel like they played 36 of them. Okay, that's a reminder of a thing I need to do with, with business. All right, Craig? Uh, who are we on now? Deckers? I mean, I guess you have to go to Deckers. We don't even know who the starting quarterback yeah. is. So, I mean, it's... The guy who was the starter and started all year versus uh, the non-named starter. I'll, okay, give me the guy who played a bunch last year who's no longer be eligible to play right now. Yeah, give me Deckers. All right, uh, Alan Bowman, Garrett Rangel, and also Gunnar Gundy, and it was Spencer Sanders. I mean, I'll take – I'm a big Spencer Sanders guy when he's healthy. So I'll say Spencer, Spencer Sanders for right now. Because we know, I mean, he got them to a Big 12 championship game a couple years ago. Had a lot of injuries, him and everybody else last year. Um, I'm kind of surprised he made the decision to go where he went, um, where it wasn't, you know, the the smoothest landing to definitely be the starter. But, you know, he, he did at Ole Miss. So we'll see. But, yeah, I think they're, I you know, maybe one of those guys will surprise me, but... And I know that Spencer Sanders had his issues, but I'm leaning Spencer Sanders. Spencer Sanders is yeah. not even close. Uh, yeah. Sorry, it's not. Um, I mean, he was we, – we think of, I guess, the end of his tenure or we think of the, the worst moments uh, versus, you know, when he was really good and when he was healthy. And, yeah, it's Spencer Sanders. And um, it's a shame that he's not going to finish his career up in Stillwater. And it's a shame that uh, during his tenure they probably didn't achieve more, you know, in the, as far as the trophy case and things go because I do think there was some – um, some more that could have been done. Obviously, you're talking about, you know, I hate to always bring it up, but they're a couple inches away from Spencer Sanders and company having a Big 12 championship. So, yeah, give me Spencer Sanders uh, all day long in that in that uh, question. All right, we mentioned who the starting quarterback would have been for somebody else, and eventually they, they, they were the starting quarterback in Shuck after the injury. Max Duggan 
had the year he had. Chandler Morris was named the starter. I don't see how they can absolutely impossible, you would think, to match what Max Duggan did last year. But Chandler Morris is back, and he was named the starter at the early part of last year. Hey, look, best of luck to Chandler Morris and everything's going to happen to you. But Max Duggan, uh, you know, they're not like they're probably not just going to build statues to him at TCU. They might build shrines to him where people like they pilgrimage from all parts of the TCU fandom and lay flowers at the feet of it. I mean, that that's how important he was to that and how he changed the the whole trajectory of the season by coming out of his shell and be, being the star that he was. Yeah, I think, though, you only should build statues for, like, Heisman winners yeah. and the like. I mean, uh, yeah, give me the guy who finished second in the Heisman Trophy race uh, after getting beat out for the starting job at the beginning of the season. I mean, Morris beat him out for a reason. Morris is probably going to be really good. Um, but to duplicate, and look, he's going to do it in a different way. He's not going to do it the exact same way that Max Duggan did it. So I don't think we need to, like, you know, he has to match anything or things like that, but – to take TCU all the way to the national championship game in a 14 playoff, uh, yeah, give me the guy who just did that, who finished second in the Heisman and won a bunch of other awards and was up for a lot of other stuff versus the guy who we've seen very little of, even if he was uh, a guy who beat Max Duggan out initially. That's that's big shoes to fill. And, uh, you know, I think, too, like if you're going to build a statue for him, and I know, I know what you're saying, Paul, you're not like, they should do this, yeah. but I think you'd have to build one for Quentin Johnson. I think yeah. you'd have to build one for Travis Hodges. You'd have to build one for, you know, probably six or seven but, guys off that team maybe, last year. Maybe and do that. Probably That'd be fun. Yeah. You, didn't, you didn't build one for Trayvon right. Boykin because yeah. of what happened to him right, after yeah. his career. All right, let's now move to Texas Tech. I did them, Texas. We did uh, TCU and now UCF. West Virginia, JT Daniels. And then Baylor got a taste of Garrett Green or Nico Marcioli. Marchio. Marchio. Uh, as the quarterbacks, your thoughts about that? I think it's probably going to uh, – well, this is the thing about West Virginia. They could upgrade at quarterback and still lose games because of that schedule that they have early on. I Like, they're, they're going to be – it's going to be tough. They're, they're in an uphill battle. I, I'm not, a you know, a believer in JT Daniels. He's, he's – He's just a guy uh, to me. Um, so I think they have potential upgrade here. And I know that Green is super athletic and uh, Nico is highly uh, recruited. But I, this, to me, I can't, I can't necessarily lean one way or the other on. But I do maybe lean more to the other guys. I think it's got to be Markiole eventually, unless Garrett Green's just grown up a lot. I mean, he's, he's seen time in a few games. He played more than just a, the one time against the Bears. But uh, we, we've seen him... You know, here and there, and uh, he's he's got some tools that are fun. But Markiel is like a huge recruiting win. It was a massive get for the Mountaineers, and I think that that's one of those like, well, just wait, like wait till he's ready. And you know, I think there's just a lot of excitement about his ability, and it's been kind of stale there at quarterback. You know, the past uh, say couple seasons really. Um, so yeah, I think that. Um, that you've got to go with the Green Markiel combination. J T Daniels. It was easy to poo-poo on him, uh, but, you know, he also wasn't so good that it's like, oh, how are they going to fill his shoes? I mean, shouldn't be too hard to, to match those results, honestly, you know, and I think that they feel much better about the team around whoever the quarterback ends up being between those two. So, yeah, I give me those options versus um, Daniels, and I know that I chose – in an incumbent versus or the guy who was there last year versus you know the open-ended options, but I just don't think that Daniels did anything that you're like, oh that that bar can't be reached. So give me give me the highly touted, you know, exciting 
young player in Mark and a guy who can be excited in his own right from time to time. He's just got to be better throwing the football in, in Garrett Green. He is a physically tough-as-nails kid uh, playing the quarterback position. All right, uh, one note. Garrett, the picture of Melissa High School. Someone, uh, it was Phil Venzer from Vegas. He said, there's too many guys with oils, oil barons in the state of Texas. This is one of the high school stadiums in Texas. This is brand new. 1,300 students, and it's in an area in that northern part of Dallas, above Dallas, the, is, is just, like, growing like weeds. That is the stadium. I mean, that's, that's like a, the luxury suite for probably all the donors and sponsors and the administration, whatever, school board. But that right there, and Phil was asking, there are not maybe dozens of that specific, but there are dozens and dozens of high school football stadiums that look like that around the state. Yes. Sometimes we have to cut the reading programs, but, I mean, books are overrated. Uh, so. You know what they're trying to make had, money? No, I thought you had follow-up to that. So sorry. They're trying to make money off of that by hosting playoff games. A bunch of them. And you can make a ton of money no, I, I think if, that, in fact, that's, they do that. That's going to be with Melissa until the town turns into Prosper or Frisco. Yeah, you know the only yeah. reason I didn't uh, kick on the rest of your joke was because I was trying to decide no. if what I was going to say was going to be too controversial or not no. as far as books go. There's a lot of book talk going <laughs> yeah. on right now. Yeah, I saw where Friday Night Lights was banned by an Iowa high school, or by an Iowa. I don't know if it was a school district or a high school. And do you know and why it was banned? Because AI told them to ban it. Because I guess they ran it through AI. What books they, as people, human beings, you know, these educators. God forbid they read a book. God forbid they have to, as academians, read a book to know whether or not their students that they are teaching are getting something out of it or if it should be banned. Let's let AI decide for us and then take that recommendation and not question if anybody else thinks it's good. And let's just roll with it. So I saw that yesterday, and I know, look, the, the book bane's a bigger topic than that but i mean that's that's just silly ridiculous and just stupid yeah and look we've been around uh high school athletics for a long time and i'm glad that that texas is a state that funds it because i do think it's really really important yeah but uh, and i made that joke uh but it's true like the way we fund education in this country is so weird in that you say like okay if the school does really well we'll give them money but they can't have any money until they do well and then you can't hire people to help the kids do well and it's one of those things you just kind of pay for you know in the first place to me instead of just like setting these weird bars for people to cross so they get money for things that they want in their school districts uh both of you thanks for the opinion on that it's a good looking football stadium Mm -hmm. too at melissa and uh uh that's again that's not the norm that's not the exception though because there's a bunch but that one Looks beautiful. Thirty-five, I think, million dollars is yeah. what that project. It's was. nice looking. It's I get why they uh, invested in it. I mean, that's you know, football's king here, and Melissa should be awfully proud of that stadium. It looks good. It's one of you know, like you said, dozens that are similar in some form or fashion. I have no doubts they're taking care of all the other parts of the school as well. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a shrine. That's a, something that they're going to be proud of for a very really long time. And I can only imagine what the reaction's like for people who don't know that that's kind of become the norm around the state of Texas is having places like that at a variety of different levels. So yeah, it's, it's something that we can kind of, 
I guess for those who choose to puff their chest out a little bit on and uh, when you argue about who's king and whatnot and, and who mm-hmm. loves their high school football, I mean, all you got to do is show them pictures like that that pop up every year of some new facility, and, and it shows you how dedicated the folks here are for uh, high school football. Two of the nicest, uh, again, they are a little bit older now, Midway, has a gorgeous football stadium with all the amenities, and then also Waco High has one as well. All right, when we come back, Mickey Spagnola, Cowboys wrapping up the preseason here pretty soon. They've had the one game in with Jacksonville, too, and next thing you know, it'll be time to play the games, and this is 365 Sports. Don's Humidor and Coffee Beans in the Townwood Shopping Center, just in between Richland Drive, which kind of takes you to the mall, and Valley Mills, which takes you towards I-35. They have a 48-foot walk-in humidor with the great brands of cigars, from Padron to Rocky Patel to Ashton and Macanudo. Cheyenne, Ashley, and Carol, they run the store. And they have what you want if you're looking to buy cigars for somebody or buy them for yourself. If I Usually when I smoke cigars, it's when I'm playing golf, although it's so hot right now, why would I want to put like a fire stick in my mouth? But I do enjoy smoking cigars, and they have great cigars. And then on top of that, CBD product in Vita Dreams that you take a gummy, you find out really if you need a half of one or whatever, maybe a full gummy, it helps you fall asleep a lot easier. And I've talked about this, the THC product that I took to my brother who struggles at times with pain because he's battling cancer, prostate cancer. And, and, and he, was, he was so excited about it after he took his first one because it makes him feel better without the pain. It's Don Chimador and Coffee Beans in the Townwood Shopping Center off Valley Mills in Waco. In our logo and advertising, we say we are people that you can count on. What does that mean? It starts with providing a quality vehicle and quality service at a fair price. But it also means we do what we say we will do, and we treat people fairly with respect. It starts by hiring great people, good local folks who work hard with a caring attitude. Our employees are the real reason we are people that you can count on. Put us to the test and see for yourself that at Richard Car Motors, we are people you can count on. Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men... An exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovy. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help us finally hear semaglutide. Affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. One size fits all. That may be all right for an adjustable belt or cheap sunglasses. But when it comes to your financial needs, no one wants a one size fits all strategy. Cam Heathcott, your Edward Jones financial advisor, knows that his most important goals are yours. That's why we take the time to understand your needs, knowing you. That's how Edward Jones makes sense of investing. Cam Heathcott in Conroe at 936-756-7717. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At 
Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be a part of the Waco community. We're a small family business right here in Central Texas, and our goal is to bring down the cost of health care while maintaining high quality. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important, and unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. That's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through the difficult time. We offer premium MRIs just like a hospital with state-of-the-art technology and specialists, but you'll pay less. Sometimes thousands of dollars less, whether you're using insurance or not. At Ideal MRI, we accept most insurance and there are no hidden costs. Even offering financing if that's needed, everything included in the price, and you'll not get something as a surprise in the mail later on. If you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. They'll know. You can schedule an appointment safely from home online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or give us a call, 833-IDEAL-MRI, IdealMRI.com. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge checking and savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. This is 365 Sports. It's time for our weekly segment with Mickey Spagnola of DallasCowboys.com. Prescott fires. Oh, lamb! Touchdown! Brought to you by the First National Bank of Central Texas with five locations to serve you. Here we go, 540, 365 Sports. Craig Smoke, Paul Catalina, David Smoke. Mickey Spagnola still... Lumbering, struggling in Oxnard, California with the beautiful temperatures as the Cowboys are starting to wrap things up. Mickey, has it been a camp that you feel like they've got what they needed accomplished? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think there's been very few uh, hiccups uh, in this camp from the standpoint of uh, injuries, uh, behavior, uh, you know, needing to accomplish some of the things they needed to accomplish and you know, pretty much leaving this camp with about with I would say kind of no holes uh, in this roster, uh, short of uh, the kicker who has come on this last uh, two weeks to to prove that he's capable of kicking in the NFL. But other than that, I, I don't know that they have a position that you're sitting there going, you know, like sucking air through your teeth, going, well, I don't know about that. Uh, So I don't think they could have asked for anything better than what's taking place here. Uh, Tomorrow will be the 26th day out here. For, I I would think, maybe the biggest area of concern just based on, you know, the history, like Tyron Smith's not, you know, played 16 games in a season ever, you know, I say ever, but in a long time, you know, so you know you kind of have to account for that. But that offensive line depth, and I know they've had some guys on the roster for a couple years like Josh Ball, um, and that is, is there a little bit of a push for, hey, it's it's time for you guys to, to show that you're ready to step in and, and be contributors if, if you have to? Well, yeah, of course. But if you're telling me the biggest concern is backup positions, mm-hmm. then you're probably in pretty good shape, right? Uh, and I agree. And, uh, you know, Tyron Smith uh, has had a, a very good camp. Uh, now, you know, when he actually gets out there and plays, you know, he's got to approve that he can play at the same level 
that he's played throughout his career. Uh, as for him not playing 16 or 17 games in the season, if he's playing at the level that he has played at that Pro Bowl level and he gives me 13 games, I'll take that over having to put somebody out there that you know I don't trust. Now, the key thing is at the back of tackle spot, if it's a long-term deal, then you move Tyler Smith out there and just find me a guard. And don't tell me the, the offense gets roomed with uh, one guard not playing at a Pro Bowl level, right? I mean, it's a guard. Uh, you ought to be able to compensate for that. So to me, uh, yeah, they got questions. And, you know, that'll be what's going to have to be figured out during the preseason games. Who's my three or four backup uh, offensive linemen? Uh, what kind of rotation do I have at backup running back now that, you know, Zeke is no longer uh, a potential option uh, for them? But, uh, you know, and other than that, it's just staying healthy. Can you stay healthy? Uh, and so far, you know, and I'm sure they would like me to be knocking on wood, uh, they haven't suffered uh, like a season ending or an injury that somebody's got to go on IR uh, yet after all these practices. Mickey, uh, those who aren't back, who are a part of the team last year that made the playoff run, whether free agency or whatever, maybe they weren't invited back. Who will they miss the most? Um, that's a good question, David. You're going to have to give me. I'm going to uh, give you a hint. A minute to 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 think about it. Yeah. Okay. I'll take the hint. All right. They have Tony Pollard, and they have these this Deuce Vaughn, and they've got others in the Davis, whatever at running back. They got they like kind of the room, right? Who's going to pick up third down and one, fourth and one? Who's going to score from the one or two yard line? Well, that would have been my choice uh, because. Uh, they were doing a, a red zone drill here yesterday and they had first and goal at the two and I'm watching and I'm going, where's Zeke? Because that's where you would use Zeke, right? Uh, and they ended up not getting in the end zone, by the way, against the first team defense. Uh, that's a thing that's got to be uh, figured out. Uh, you know, Brian Schottenheimer sort of addressed that question today. Uh, during his, uh, the, the coordinators were open for interviews and he was saying there's different ways to do it. And, and you know, they know that, uh, and Dak said the same thing that, you know, he's got a, a stiff neck and he'll stick it in there and get into the end zone. Uh, but that there's different ways to get in to maybe use Pollard speed. Uh, you know, maybe you're not bowling straight ahead, uh, to pick up that, uh, first and goal at the one or first and goal at the two, uh, that there's other ways you may have to devise to do that uh, because they do not have anybody to take Zeke's spot. You know, and, my, and when I was defending, you know, my thoughts on bringing him back, it's like we've well, got to replace 12 touchdowns because he had 12 touchdowns, 12 rushing touchdowns. Now, who's going to help you with that? Uh, so, again, uh, I think I did mention one of the things they have to sort out is the rotation at running back and how they uh, compensate for his loss. And, you know, and I still think that, you know, they they thought maybe they could bring him back, but I think uh, New England ended up giving him a couple million dollars more uh, than uh, they, they thought that they could afford against the cap. 
Look, Mickey, I'm a full believer in Deuce Vaughn. I don't care if he he's four eleven, one yard. Give it to him. No, I I I do think it's going to be interesting what they do there, uh, and that's where you know Rico Daddle, Rico Daddle, and Malik Davis come in too, right? They got to hold on to the ball and and do those things. Yeah, no, absolutely, and you know, and you know, Daddle, you know, shows that he's got some ability. David did last last year when he got opportunities, but. Yeah, you can't you can't fumble the ball at the two yard line like they did in the in the first preseason game, uh, and so uh, but that that position has to be sorted out. I get it. Um, does every team have two running backs that they feel like you know that they they're starters? Um, you know, and that's one of the things that you know when you construct a roster, you know they that was a conscious decision because. Uh, you know, even though everybody says, well, okay, uh, you know, Zeke was making too much money. Well, fine, but releasing him cost him $5.8 million against the salary cap this year and $6 million next year. Uh, so it wasn't like a free release, right? Uh, and, and I guarantee you, if it wasn't for a $10.9 million base salary, he still would have been here and could have been here if he hadn't got the deal that New England got. So that's one of the things that they that have to uh, fix and then find out if Tony Pollard is capable of being the guy, being the guy carrying the ball 15 times a game, 17 weeks in a row. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, if there's a, a, a focus on something that you're not sure of, then that would be, be one of them. They improved the wide receiver position. Uh, by trading for Brandon Cooks. They improved the cornerback position by trading for Stephon Gilmore. Um, wait till you guys see Damone Clark play football uh, now that he's had an offseason and a training camp and preseason games to prepare for after uh, being missing all that last year following his neck surgery. Uh, this guy's really balling out. it be interesting to see uh, how that combination works with him and Leighton Vanderish at linebacker. Uh, so, you know, there's some good things that they have on this team. Uh, and, and I think from uh, an offensive line, if they stay healthy, that's a pretty darn good offensive line, assuming Tyron Smith can continue to play the level that he's played previously uh, after missing, what, uh, almost the entire season last year. Mickey, uh, do you think, um, we go back to running back here, that, that Deuce Vaughn is in the mix for the second spot at that running back legitimately, or do you think that Mike McCarthy may bring him all along a little slower? No, I, I think he's, let's put it this way, I think he's legitimately uh, has a chance to make the 53-man roster. I think legitimately he has a chance to fit into what they do offensively. Uh, finding a package for him and what he can do. Uh, I don't know that, you know, he's going to trump all the other guys and take their spot uh, as a backup. But again, as, as a third running back, uh, I, I think he's nearly solidified that um, because he does look like and has done so far, and not just in that preseason game, but, but in practice here, what he's done at Kansas State. Uh, and shows that, you know, he belongs. Now we'll see what happens going forward there. So they're going to carve out a, 
a, a job for him. Let's put it that way, a role on this offense and use his skills. Um, you know, I've seen him out there um, early. I guess it was this week in practice. He got some snaps with the first team offense. I've seen him out there when they've been in three wide receivers and put him out, out uh, wide uh, as a fourth option to throw the ball to, and he's pretty good at catching the ball also. There's just so much you can do with the speed and elusiveness he has. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to that's gonna help. Uh, and it's going to help you guys to have this wide receiver core they have this year, do you guys remember who the start three starters were last year for the season opener? Oh, I don't. It was Ceedee Lamb. Okay. Um, Noah Brown. Noah Brown. Yeah. 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 Um, Dennis Houston. Oh yeah. Rookie, undrafted free agent. You think it's a little better this year? Yep, absolutely. And they got to capitalize on that, right? Uh, and the key thing is being able to protect, protect Dak Prescott. But I'm thinking with the, this wide receiver core and with the, uh, the it, increased uh, performances we've seen from Jalen Tolbert uh, and what Cavante Turpin can help out at wide receiver this year, that they're better fit and they're, they're better prepared to be very dynamic in the passing game. And I guarantee you that'll cut down on some of the passing game mistakes that all weren't on Dak Prescott's shoulders. There was a lot of wide receiver and tight end problems they had uh, last year. And by the way, we haven't even, you know, discussed the tight end spot because everybody's like, well, who's going to replace Dalton Schultz? Well, I think they got about three guys that can replace Dalton Schultz uh, right now. And then they've got a hidden gem, and I don't know if the guy's going to make the team or not, but the undrafted uh, free agent tight, or actually wide receiver, they're turning into a tight end, John Stevens out of Louisiana. He play, He was at TCU for three years, didn't really play that much. But you're talking about a guy that was in college at 6'6", 245, trying to play wide receiver. Well, the Cowboys were the only team, I guess, that worked him out as a tight end. And this guy's been flashing. Uh, so it would be interesting to see if he makes the team. If not, maybe he's a, you know, a, a practice squad guy that they can elevate. Uh, and I'll tell you what, another young guy that has really stood out, uh, DeMarvian Overshone, uh, the, the just special teams, linebacker, specialty role. Uh, they've added to this team uh, that I think some people probably aren't aware of not watching them as we do every day during training camp. Mickey, thank you. Welcome back soon to reality after Seattle. You going to cool, cool it off for yeah. me before I get back? Yeah, it was I actually wish. Yeah, 73 degrees this morning. It was 95 by 11 o'clock, so don't get fooled. It, it is, it's back to where it needs to be. Thanks for your time. As always, Mickey Spagnola with his longtime veteran writer and columnist, for DallasCowboys.com. Paul's top five. All right, uh, so pretend you just heard music and brought to you by Texas Beef House. Also got to give a quick shout-out to Unite Private Networks, uh, who has turbocharged us. But um, since we are, are short on time today, top five teams that I believe are ranked too high. Um, just based on it, you know, Tim Brando got me thinking yesterday, so I, I went and, and looked and did my own. And some of these... I, Teams, I think, are going to be good, but I think they need to earn their spot a little bit more um, in into that 
into that ranking. Number five, Alabama at number four. I Look, I know it's probably crazy to say that Alabama's ranked too high, but look, they were... Uh, not their best version of themselves last year. They're going to have a new quarterback this year. We got to see where they are. Uh, let's not just put them, you know, at fourth or third just because they are Alabama. I don't think it would be bad to say that Alabama could be seventh or eighth. You know, I feel actually better about Clemson than I do about Alabama. I think they're more of a sure thing right now than Alabama is. That's not to say that I don't think Alabama will be good, but I do think that they have more question marks than some of the other teams in the top ten. Enjoy your mentions. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. No, I, I, uh, I agree that they're not necessarily, you know, having to be a top five. I, I have a hard time arguing Alabama at any point in time outside well, of a top I, five, though. So, yeah, I mean, I get where you're coming from, though. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I look, and they're probably a top five team, but, you know, maybe, maybe they can burn it this time. Not that they haven't, but make them earn it on this year. Number four, Tennessee. Uh they just had the best season they've had in a long time. I'm a big believer in Joe Milton, especially with Josh Heupel uh, coaching him. But um, I do want to see if they can do it in back-to-back years because they did lose Hendon Hooker. They lost Jalen Hyatt. They lost Cedric Tillman. They lost a bunch of players. Let's see if they're going to do it year over year before you know you throw them back in the top 15. To me, it wouldn't have been terrible to rank them at 20 you know, and just see because, again, let them hit that spot and see if they are, in fact, truly back to being the Tennessee of the of the 80s and 90s. Well, I mean, if it's anything like the Baylor offenses and that's what he's running, uh, then, you know, you usually just replace a quarterback. But, yeah, who's to say Joe Milton's not more of a Chris Johnson than he is a Seth Russell? So, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get that, um, you know, you lose Jalen High, you lose Hennon Hooker, you lose others, uh, maybe thinking they take a bit of a step back. I still think they'll be really stinking good, but, yeah, um, you know, maybe not uh, as high as they were in the debut. Yeah. Number three, Wisconsin. Look, I, I, you know, we know Tanner Mordecai well. Luke Fickle's an excellent coach. He's probably going to have the Badgers humming at some point. But, again, you're talking about new coach, new quarterback, new system, all these things new. Braylon Allen's a fantastic player. But maybe just a little bit higher than than I think they should have been. Let's see what's going on at Wisconsin before we kind of throw them throw them up there as high, as high as they were. Yeah, I want to circle back to Tennessee for a second. I mean, tw- I know you got to do it for this, but 12 is not like super high. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I get where you're coming from there. It'd be one thing. I think if it, it, I think it'd be pretty egregious if they were like at seven or something like mm-hmm. that. But 12, you're starting to get into kind of the middle. Uh, so I, I don't think that that's, that's so bad, really, uh, given what they lost, because I do think they're going to be really good again. But as far as Wisconsin, uh, a little lower is what you're saying? Yeah, a little lower. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, they're top 20 to start off with. Uh, and, you know. I could have bought the top three. I'll just tell you these next three. I could have bought them slightly out of the poll, all of them. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just a lot of faith in Fickle and, mm-hmm. and also Mordecai, like you said, and, you know, Longo and, and all of the rest of the changes that have been made there. Um, yeah, that's, that's some respect being given that's not necessarily, I guess, fully ironed out or earned at this point, but uh, that's that's a lot of it. That's this poll. Nobody's really earned anything yeah. other than what they did last year and then the offseason. But, okay, I can see why you maybe just don't have top 20 confidence in them right off the bat. I By the way, did you hear what happened? That Wisconsin had a tweet was showing Tanner Mordecai at practice when Fickle came to Wisconsin, he brought a lot of that social media group with him. The guy had on the tweet 
the Cincinnati Bearcats logo because that's where he used to be, and he just made an honest mistake and just let, there was Tanner Mordecai with the Cincinnati football logo. I'm sure they'd love to have him uh, at Cincinnati. Number two, Iowa. I don't think they should. I honestly think, especially these two, the number two and number one, I don't believe should have been ranked in the preseason poll at all. I know Iowa's going to have a good defense, blah, 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 blah. But you're going to need to score more than, than 10 points a game to me to, you know, I just, I, I think this is more respect than is due to Kirk Ferentz at this point. And they've got to improve on offense. I know Cade McNamara could theoretically be an upgrade, but sometimes it's not about, you know, it's not about just that guy. So, yeah, I, I just don't I, I just don't think they should have been in the poll at all. I mean, they barely were. So, I mean, they got uh, 25 uh, out of 25. So, I mean, they were they were hardly there. Um, but I'm with you. I mean, I don't I don't think it's all that funny even at this point how atrocious their offense has been. So, I mean, they're looking to to change that. We'll see how McNamara and company do. Um, but, you know, it's hard to argue with the amount of success that Ference has had, and yet still, I mean, there should be so much more based on the fact that the offense was so bad. And, I mean, to the point of last year, it was just it was ridiculous, man. It was, it was like a joke, but then it became a joke of a joke, and then it's just like it's almost not even funny how stupid this is of how bad this is. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like it's actually gone from funny to just like it kind of pisses me off that mm-hmm. this is how bad your offense is. So, yeah, I can't wait to see how they've upgraded, so to speak. Um, but, yeah, some respect being given, but not a whole lot because, again, it's, it's 25 out of 25. But I can see not thinking that they're, they're that caliber, I guess. Yeah. He's been the coach there since 1999. He's been to the bowl game 19 times out of 23 years. I'm not saying – like 10, 12, 15, but the consistency, even with that horrific offense, the consistency when he's been there yeah. has been there. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're, a, you, they're almost always a bowl team. 2020 didn't count because of COVID. Yeah, they didn't uh, pull a Frank Solich in Nebraska yeah. and feel yeah. like, oh, only yeah. eight wins and nine Absolutely. wins at Iowa. Oh, yeah. my gosh, this isn't good enough for us. we got to fire Ferentz to get over the hump and get to – 11 and 12 wins. Oh, wait, he does that regularly? Yeah, they're smart. They know what they've got, and they know that, you know, he is a, about as good as you could probably hope for uh, and, and has been for the, the long haul. So I do think now it's getting to a point, though, if he's been around long enough sure. and it's frustrating enough that you're like, okay, the wins are great, but this sucks to watch. Yeah. Like, this isn't fun to watch on a, on a weekly basis. I think that's where some of the fans have to be now. Like, it's inexcusable that we don't have a better offense than this. So that that's where some of that angst well, has certainly and, come and from. And especially with the 12-team playoff coming, Iowa's a team that could regularly be in that. Sure. But if you're regularly if in it. If they get to that yeah. point where they yeah. were pretty good. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. if they're yeah. still good, you know good. regularly a top 15, 10 team, they're regularly going to be in the mix for that. But if you're going to be in it in the first round and get waxed by a team that throws the forward pass, your fans are just going to get mad and tired of it. Yeah, their their defense is incredible. I mean, like you, know, you just wish their offense was a little bit better. But, yeah, I mean, I think that you – you love what you've had and the results and all of that, and uh, they appreciate that. But at this point, it's like you got to, you know, with what people are donating and expecting, you got to be able to put a serviceable offense on the field. Yep. Number one, Texas A and M. Oh, golly, what happened there? I don't know what that was. But my voice Jimbo is like Fisher. halfway gone. Yeah, Texas A and M. Like Brian Kelly fitting yeah. in at LSU all yeah. of a sudden. Texas A and M. I know they're ranked low, but this is a 5-7 and seven team a year ago. There are many more deserving teams on that other receiving votes than A&M. These guys have to earn it. They've got to earn it. And them ranked it all to me was amazing given how poorly they played last year and how they didn't show up. Now, I know they will probably be better la- this year because, 
you know, given what they have on the roster, you can't be much worse than they were. But I just think that it's it's kind of silly that they're you just kind of threw them in uh, over Tech in one poll, over schools like UTSA to me Tulane. should have been the poll, Tulane, like to you know, Tulane has a returning quarterback and beat USC last year. AM did none of those things. No. Yeah, I think it's stupid. I think it's lazy, and I think it's just, oh, so we, you know, there will be the whole, eight of the 25 are from the SEC, you know, that kind of jazz, and it's like, I, I hate that kind of graphic stuff anyways because it's just, there's nothing really to it. It's just a, a, a vote based on just nothing but speculation. I mean, at least week two, you've got a result to go off of. But, you know, like we talked about with Tulane, it's, oh, God, we're at like 23 now. Who do we, how do we fill out the end of this? All right, uh, A&M. Okay, sure. They should be better. And I think that's, you know, oh, God, we almost forgot about Tulane. Better stick them in there. But, yeah, I mean, A&M doesn't deserve, per se, to be ranked. I can see why you definitely think they're going to be better. Uh, I can see why you think they'll eventually be top 25. But I don't see why you don't allow them to earn it as well. I think they'd like to have probably been unranked just to kind of – Move. It's just a very yeah. empty number 23 ranking that doesn't really have much substance to it. And I know after the fact, somebody, well, I just thought they were going to be better. But, yeah, I mean, like, let them show it before you just assume that they will be. But that's, that's you know, that's part of the, mm-hmm. the ups and downs of a preseason poll is you're going off of recruiting rankings for some and, you know, off-season moves and things like that. And it's hard to get a gauge. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're not deserving of it. All right, Paul, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Brought to you by Texas Beef House. Dot com and is also you mentioned United Private Networks that gives us our uh, thrust to what we do, putting all of what we have, the content out uh, with full throttle. We appreciate them. Garrett Ross, Emery Winter, Levi Caraway, Jack McKenzie, Craig Smoke, and uh, Paul Catalina. I'm David Smoke. Tonight, don't forget, every weeknight, 1030, 365 Sports Tonight on the CW. Have a great Thursday. Two ADs tomorrow from the Big 12. Gene Taylor, K-State. And also Chris Pesman from Houston will join us. And this is 365 Sports. MRI is a small family business right here in Central Texas. We're open to support you while lowering the cost of health care bills. When you need an MRI, ask your doctor for